it's like that happened like i was seeing it in my head or i don't know how to put it but that was what happened like it was like a lag like he lagged and then my real this thing followed yeah. up so okay that's one thing that stood out to me my hand yeah like graphics yeah, honestly exactly. just like that, like like something hooking like slow internet <laughs> <laughs> exactly because the brain the brain is like a, a um an antenna that receives information from you and whatever you are doing it starts to have a reaction in the brain and then your physical body reacts to it accordingly so that's why scientists think that is the brain that thought begins in but no thought begins elsewhere and it has an effect in the brain and then it has an effect in the physical body so your physical body is just like a computer that you are using you know just just like that so is when one starts to engage in the meditative practices for example that you actually realize that there is really a difference between you and your physical body like it becomes so strikingly obvious that you can't deny it anymore you know mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. electric shocks that you're talking about you know as we spoke about last week how underneath the physical body exists an energetic aspect you know and yes. when you actually start to concentrate inward because that energetic aspect is like the battery that helps you support will i say um quote unquote spiritual experience and so on and so forth it begins to charge up and fire up and that's why you start to feel some itches here and there the itch is not in your physical body it is the energetic body so it's like little shocks and sparks all over your body you know and mm-hmm. when you start to ignore it you know you don't pay attention to it you just find so easy that you just um drift out of the external world and then you find yourself looking inward and you just start to perceive the number of things you know well so, so it's actually that, possible to like look past that itching like it's because it was intense <laughs> it was of course i something like that scratch <laughs> <laughs> yes it's very possible to move past it you know although it it, it still happen throughout but it's got the point where you just know how to ignore it you know but you okay. sometimes you can feel it on your face on your back is there but eventually you you just learn how to stop how to start ignoring it because it can even get to the point where it won't itch you start to feel your hands start to electrify like you know and it can happen throughout yeah. your whole body and you just have to feel all kind of strange things that you know you probably never took note of before and um it can sometimes be distracting but one who starts to learn how to just forget about all those things and just forget about the body you know because to to enter inside you have to forget about the body you have to forget that you have a physical body and you just turn your sight from outward inward and then things just start to images just start to play out and yeah a lot of things happen from there you know so yeah <laughs> Well, thank you for that, bro. That was that was so, so good. All right, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. What about the rest of us? How many of us were able to try the meditation practice? How did it go for us? What uh, was the experience? Who oh knows? well, for me, I tried it the very first time I tried it. I experienced that electricity thing that you were talking about, like your body, mm. and I thought, okay, so I did. I used the Lord's Prayer to do mm. it. So uh, what's it called? That Father who has in heaven, that one. Right. And so I started, it started slowly, almost like my body was charging. And the more mm. I, the longer I stayed, the more heated up or charged up my body got. And mm. I also, I got like a headache as well, but it was like mm. my body was really, really charging. I felt almost as if it was building up to something. That's kind of how I felt. And yeah, so I eventually had to come out because like family and all that, someone called me. So I had to come. And then when I got up, I felt woozy. 
And for the rest of the night, I just felt very woozy, almost a little sick as well, like kind of dizzy, woozy, that kind of feeling after, after yeah. I'd gotten up. Yeah, you, said you felt lazy after you came out of it, right? Yeah, like woozy, yeah. Yes, exactly. Because in that moment when you sit down to meditate, you know, like we discussed, you actually make the body fall asleep. Because the body has to fall asleep for your consciousness to shift from the external world to the internal world. So literally, it's like falling asleep, you know, except you do it in a conscious way. So you take mm-hmm. note of the transition from the physical to what we can call the spiritual, you know. So when you return into your body in that moment, or you become more conscious of your body, you actually feel like you're just waking up from sleep because that's what happens. You actually made your body fall asleep, you know. And that electric stuff you're feeling, it happens every blessed night. Because you see that energetic aspect of your body is like the battery of the physical body, you know. And every night when you sleep, is that aspect of your body that charges the body to make it able to function the next day. Mm. So mm. if one is able to wake up in the middle of that charging, you feel literally we're all like mobile devices. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you know? the, body, the body is a, actually a piece of technology, literally. And it, function on, or it functions on the battery, you know. So now that you are able to, you know, have your attention in between being awake and being asleep, you're not taking note of the processes that happen to you every night. It's even possible that you might wake up at like 4 a.m., 3 a.m. in the middle of that process, and it will feel like your body is paralyzed, you know? I mean, there are many reasons that this happens, but generally, that paralysis that happens is because you are not fully in your body yet. And why you're not fully in your body, just like how Dante explained, you know, he said there was a lag when he tried to move his hand. So that can also happen when you wake up at 3 a.m. This is what they call sleep paralysis. When you wake up and you're not yet fully conscious in your body, when you try and move your hand, it won't move because you're not just fully present in the body, you know. And when that happens, mm-hmm. it can make someone to panic, <laughs> you know. They can become scared. And you see, that fear they feel can also start to create images in their environment. And they'll say, oh my God, something came to attack me, you know. So, but something can attack you as well, but it's, it's not always the case. So there are many, many variables. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know? So yeah, okay. stuff, so yeah stuff like that. Stuff like that. So yeah, it's so, it's so good to hear your, uh, your testimony. So keep on. You have to continue. This is something that you have to keep doing. You know, it's not a one-off thing. It's like you trying to become a gymnast. You know, it's not achieved in one day. From you being consistent and persistent with it, you know, you get more proficient at doing it. Because meditation is a skill, you know, that develops over time and through much practice and etc. You know. So yeah. So yeah, anyone else who tried the meditation uh, meditation practice? How did it go for how did it go? Anyone else? I did. Hey, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a noisy place. Um, so I did and it just didn't work out and I was just so frustrated. But then <laughs> I went back to the group chat and I just read about how everyone is just like, don't, I don't know, I don't despise small beginnings. So, and I'm really like on a journey right now. So I'm not frustrated. I'm trying not to be frustrated. I'm going to try again today. 
if I remember, I'm just going to continue trying until something happens. And then you all must hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But how was it? When you tried it again, how was it for you? Um, it was, I just, I kept bombarding myself with different thoughts. I, th- I think that was the issue because I couldn't literally sit still. I was in a quiet mm. place. Everyone was sleeping out and I was trying my best, but different thoughts just kept popping up in my head and it was so distracting. And I, I just left it and went to bed because I was just so annoyed. And this always happens to me, like different thoughts mm. are always, and random thoughts, they don't even have to be about what's going on in my life. Just different thoughts, just bombarding me at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that is something that would definitely... Um, happen you know and um <laughs> then i said the story of my life <laughs> yeah you know yeah um when we sit down and actually try and meditate because like we described last week for those of us who are here though it is not this week's conversation but i just want to just give a, a kind of um groundwork for those of us who just um joined um when we talk about meditation primarily we're speaking of the ability to puts one to focus in one thing consistently. And in this regard, we're speaking about the ability to be able to shift one's attention to God, the Holy Spirit within us, you know. And in that process, you know, we sit down and um, we kind of let the body fall asleep. And as we're falling, letting the body fall asleep, we have our mind fixed on God. And in that state, when the body falls asleep with us in an alert manner, you know, From nowhere, we might just start to hear God explaining a particular scripture or giving us some particular advice about different kinds of things, you know. But in the beginning, when we try and sit down and concentrate on that one thing, we'll discover that our minds are like a marketplace, you know. All over the place, buzzing, 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 buzzing. And this buzzing of the mind is one of the greatest hindrances to concentration. You know, I can liken it onto, how many of us have seen lions when they go to hunt, you know? There might be 20 different gazelles in the field, but it's just that particular one that they have fixated their eyes upon that they go after. Has anyone seen that kind of thing before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah? Nigel Wild, yeah. Exactly, you know. That is meditation in a sense. You know, being able to zone out all the noise and all the different distractions and just put your hand on that one particular thing, you know. But the way we have been built up in life, you know, when there's plenty candy on the table, we want to catch everything, you know. And, um, you know, that is something very unhealthy for the mind. And, you know, for those of us who read the write-up, um, um, preparing for the mystery, when I spoke about how we need to develop healthy mental practice, and I gave examples of how, for example, you're in chat with one person, and then another message comes, and in between you responding to this particular chat, you jump to the next one, then you jump to YouTube, then you jump to Instagram. You see, when we're always jumping, jumping, jumping from different things, you know, our mind, we're training our mind to not be able to, be consistent in one thing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. For the rest of us, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah it so does. All those kind of activities, we're training the mind to be inconsistent. You know, we're training to be distracted by anything that comes up. And for us to be able to sit down and meditate, we have to, first of all, start practicing the ability to keep our mind focused on one thing. Long before we sit down and say, 
we want to meditate and we want to pray. It begins long before that moment. We have to start to adopt healthy mental practice. And one of them is not to do two, three things at the same time. Multitasking is very detrimental for the normal working processes of the mind. Multitasking doesn't benefit at all. And it will become more obvious when you try and meditate. You see that your mind is thinking about 20 things at the same time. And to get it to quiet down will be so tough. You know? So to get the mind to quiet down is not in that moment when you sit down. It's long before then. So during your day, we should, start be, we should start practicing the habit of paying attention to a particular thing that you're doing. You're washing your dishes, you wash your dishes. You're eating your food, you eat your food. You're on the phone with your friend, you stay on the phone with your friend. You don't stay on the phone with your friend and watch YouTube or reply this chat. When you're doing that, you're making the mind to become disjointed. Now, when you try and sit down to achieve a definite purpose in meditation, it will be very difficult. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. Yeah, for the yeah. rest of us. But, but like that goes against everything that, we're, like you said, that goes against everything that we're used to. It's kind of like rearranging your lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. It's a complete life shift. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, it's something that we have to, um, we have to start doing in order to um, be more efficient. You know, for example, when we look at someone like Apostle Paul, and all those people who their eyes can penetrate in the realms of the spirit, those people, their minds are not like our own. Oh, no, 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 no. They, are, they, 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 are, they have that capacity to keep a consistent vision. And that's why they can see anything in any part of the world, in any part of the universe, because they know how to concentrate. You know, that stillness of the mind, it's something that, it has to be developed, you know. But yeah, like I said, today is not a conversation for that. So this is just... Um, uh, just a short recap for those of us who are not having here. And also, if someone was, if you were not, if you are interested in the last class of meditation, please feel free to request for the um, link to the video and um, I'll gladly provide it. So, yeah. So, okay. Maybe two more people could go talk about um, how it was. Or maybe we can talk about how the class itself was for us and maybe what we've been thinking about over the past week. So, who wants to go? Who would like to go? Uh, where's everybody now? <laughs> wow. Hello? I, nom- I nominate Tori Lockwood to go. Huh? Hello? I nominate Tori Lockwood to Mm-hmm. What do you say? I nominate Tolu Lokwe to go. Oh, Tolu Lokwe? Where is she? Where is Tolu Lokwe? Is she here? Yeah, she's near. Tolu Lokwe, where Hello. is she? Hello. I'm here. Hello, everybody. Tolu Lokwe is here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tolu, we've not oh, heard of Wow. Why is everybody looking yeah. for Tolu? <laughs> Tolu Lokwe. Oh, she's our class prefect. It's okay. Huh. Hi, how's everyone doing? Hey, we're doing good, um, Adisha. Yeah, yeah, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I just, I just want to say something about family. 
I'm, I'm, okay, but tell me. I'm using my headphones. Um, so I really didn't concentrate on the class last week. I was, my mind was all over the place. I remember, I remember listening to you and then I fell asleep for some weird reason. And actually that link, I'll need you to please put it in the WhatsApp group so I can watch it later. But during this week, this week has been very weird because I've been having like a series of dreams and hmm. it resonates with that um, part I think that WhatsApp message that says something about the shifting of the sun and then so much is happening at this particular period, if you can remember. And that one should be very wary of the kind of dreams they have during this period. And all of a sudden, I started reading about the story of Samson. Mm. I have never read about the story of Samson in my life. I feel like, in fact, the only time I read about the story of Samson was um, my book of Bible stories. So for the first time, I actually had to sit down and go to Judges, I think Judges 13 or something. From Judges 13 to about 16, actually depicts the story of Samson. And if you read that story, you would understand why it is so important to keep a vow you have with God. Because it, 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 I learned something from that story, how it wasn't necessarily the hair that Samson had on his head that was the issue or that took huh. away his power. It was the vow. Because the vow wasn't just with him. It was even with his mom. You know, because huh. even before he was born, his mom gave, you know, his mom was seeking for a child. And I think a part of it that says that I will give this child back to you if you give me this child. Huh. So his huh. life, more or less, was a testament of God's glory. You will see parts that will say things about, you know, he was walking and then the spirit of God came on him and then he tore a lion like a piece of paper. Yes, yes, yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then one part about it that said that he was walking and then he remembered and, you know, he went back to where the lion was and he saw honey or something like that. But as the story began to unfold, I now started seeing parts about something about his, his best man sleeping with the wife he was supposed to marry. That's number mm. one. Number two was also the part where he said before he went, before, shortly before he met Delilah, he slept with the harlot. Just shortly before that period, he slept with the harlot. Then after that, he met with Delilah. And one thing you need to understand about, um, I think the part about, it, there's somewhere in James that says, you know, when you start facing trials and tribulations, you should always persevere, something like that, that, you know, be of good cheer and blah, blah. One thing about mm -hmm. growing in a spiritual, your spiritual faith and being aware of your environment is that whenever something great is coming, the temptation becomes more. Because yes. with, 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 with the woman he was supposed to marry, when he gave her the riddle, she, she was persistent. She kept on questioning him and kept on questioning him. And he said something. He said, how can I give you the answer of this riddle if I haven't even give it, given it to my parents? But she was persistent in nicking him and nicking him and he finally gave it up, number one. Number two, the next time he met Delilah, Delilah did the same thing. She kept on nicking, you know, kept on disturbing him and disturbing him. And he finally gave up the answer saying that, this is the reason why I am so strong because mm. of the seven locks on my hair. Mm. And it made me realize something that even Samson didn't understand the power he had. Mm. 
-hmm. it made me understand that yes he had been given this great strength by god yes he had you know he had he was also more or less like a, a ruler in that time because i think even prior to that time they didn't have kings or they had weird things like judges or something but he was a person of prominence he had he was very important but he hadn't come to the realization of who he was and it was very sad because the way he died doesn't necessarily speak about the way he lived he died a very miserable death you know because when he died i think he was buried in the same you know close to the tomb of his dad but i'm still trying to decipher that story i'm still trying to understand the meaning but it just shows me that Vows are very important to God, especially because I think a part of um, somewhere, I can't remember, says that your body is temple of the Holy Spirit and then you have, you remember that you have been bought for a price. It was the price, the price, because Samson himself was born with a price. It was, it was more, hello, oh crap. It was, because it was a word that was given to his mom. Same thing as Immaculate Conception, the same word that was given to the mother of John the Baptist, same word that was given to Abraham's wife. It was a word, meaning that he was a child of glory, a child of grace. But a power used in the wrong hands, obviously with Delilah, turned his destiny upside down. Just meeting the wrong person just turned his destiny upside down. And you can imagine when an opportunity was placed in front of you. And it was weird because she would tell him, he would, she would ask him what his power was. He would say a different story. And then the next thing, these guys would come. And in my mind, I'm like, are you not aware that this woman is trying to kill you? Yeah. Why did you keep giving up the answer so easily? Yeah. Why was it so easy yeah. for you to just give it up? You know, so anyways, uh, uh, let me not digress. It's, I just, uh, no you're, doing an, um, you're doing an amazing job. Well done. This, um, I'm glad to be here. Really glad to be here. And I hope that I'm this so experience would, um, would um, you know, make us grow and teach us, you know, and make us walk in the light of God. Yeah. So next person, please. You're welcome. Well, thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. I think that, um, that story is very peculiar, you know, especially when, I actually would digress so this is going to that sense, but <laughs> but just to talk about something quite peculiar, you know, he talks about how his power was rooted in the seven locks of hair on his head, you know, and instantly we can connect that to the seven candlesticks, the seven spirits of God, we can connect it to the rainbow and talk about how all these things still talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and all these mm. things, you know, so it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very powerful story, you know, well, thank you for Thank you for um, for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's open up. Let's open up with a prayer. Let's open up with a prayer. Mm-hmm. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for bringing Amen. us here this evening to, to meditate upon your word and just to seek your face. Fathers, we're here to receive from you. We pray that our hearts be nimble, and we pray that our hearts be receptive to hear your voice. I may we hear your voice. I may we be transformed and empowered by your voice in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, take over this meeting and give the words of utterance. Words that don't just stick to the intellect but penetrate the depths of our souls. That that light which is implanted within us might come out and might shine in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Father, for we welcome your presence into this meeting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Welcome, everyone. So good to have everyone here this evening. Um, thank you all for joining us. And, um, and um, for those of us that are here for the first time, you know, um, what we have here are, well, I say conversations, you know, and um, as per usual, I'll begin with the topic for today and the message. And then as I start to talk about it, you know, we respond with our thoughts, comments, questions, and from there we build the conversation together, you know, because I believe that more light comes out in that place of interactivity, you know, so it really is a conversation and I, I do, um, what's the word? Um, insist that we all participate and share our thoughts, our comments and questions, and we all build the conversation together. So today we're talking about a very interesting subject, you know, which I am sure, you know, by nature rings a lot of bells in the heads of most of us, in the heads of every one of us, because um, the subject of sex is such a, will I say, such a big theme in our time, you know, and um, the Holy Spirit asked me to, because like today, this Friday, we're not supposed to talk about this. You know, we're supposed to continue the meditation class. But sometime in the middle of the week, God just gave me a different um, um, directive. And I had no choice but to comply, you know, and um, to do what he said and do what he wants to do. So now we're going to be talking about sex and the nature of sex. Now, it's called the nature of sex because, you know, when we talk about sex, normally it's looked at as the population between a man and a woman or the population between two animals or things of that nature. But that is just an expression of sex. Sex exists in different layers, dimensions, and different ways and forms. Even though it might express itself as different things, Sex remains what it is. And I want us to talk about the nature of sex, the principle of sex. And when we understand the principle of sex, then all the different forms and expressions which it takes can start to make a bit more sense. Do we understand that? Yes. Yes. I hear you, brother. Yeah. So I'd like to take us to the very beginning, you know, because when we talk about sex, I want us to know that sex is the foundation of the existence of anything. There is nothing that can come into existence in this universe and beyond without sex being at the foundation. Like I said, in the physical, in the, between a man and a physical man and a physical woman, their copulation is just one form of expression of sex. Sex exists in every layer of existence. And the first place where we see sex happening, we'll have to go to Genesis chapter one, you know. And if some of us have some time, we can go there right now. Genesis chapter one and verses, verses two. Genesis chapter one, verse two, you know. Genesis chapter one, verse two and three. And I'll, I'll read. 
the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, already, yes, something very phenomenal has happened. Because in this very moment, I want to connect the same scripture to what Jesus Christ said, how unless one is born of water and spirit, it, one cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Does anyone remember that scripture? Does anyone remember that scripture? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah? I do. You know? Yeah, I do. And that statement Jesus Christ made directly correlates to this statement in Genesis chapter 1. Because it's from the hovering of the Spirit upon the waters. By that union, by that matrimony, does the child come into existence. And that's why it said that when a person enters into the waters of baptism, when they come out, they are born again. Because the waters are a symbol of a womb. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Huh? Yeah, it does. So, it does. so in the Hebrew culture, and you see it in many other places, the waters has a feminine connotation. It is likened unto a woman which receives a seed, which then becomes impregnated, and which gives birth. Interestingly, the name Mary in Hebrew, which is called Mara, is actually, it literally means water, literally. Mary is the name of a particular body of water in Israel that we see in the book of Exodus. You know, and um, so we see this correlation and the spirit was hovering upon the waters and God said, let it be light and there was light. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the child of the Holy Spirit. And we also see how Jesus Christ talked about unless one is born of spirit and of water, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Are we seeing this link between everything? Mm. The water. You know? Yeah. Water yeah. Because the link between water and rebirth. Huh? So the link between water and rebirth. Exactly. So when we talk about sex, fundamentally, from the perspective of God, sex itself is marriage. It's a union. It's a matrimony. And that's why all throughout the Bible we see how God always calls Israel, oh, you adulterous bride, you harlot, who has prostituted herself with many lovers. Because in a sense, not in a sense, literally, God is the husband of every single one of us. That is our inner Christ, the spirit of God inside of us. He's our husband. And we, the woman, ought to be the bride. Who, in our intimacy with him do we become impregnated by his words and bear what the bible calls the fruits of the children of the holy spirit and we can say these children are patience generosity kindness judgment love does that make sense yes it does you know because literally when we talk about the sexual intercourse. The first sexual intercourse, the first marriage, begins with the Holy Spirit. Begins with the Christ inside of us. And in our intercourse with Him, I hope this is not too vulgar because this is just the way, I'm just trying to bring it out to, uh, 
to um, make it very plain. No, in not. our communion with him, in our union with him, our marriage with him. No. We start to become an expression of who he is. We start to become an extension of who he is. And we start to bear his children. You know, and like I said, when you bear the children of the Holy Spirit, this speaks of the actions that you carry out. This speaks of what comes out of you, what expresses through you. Because when we say the children of the harlot, the children of the harlot, we can liken it onto outbursts of rage, outbursts of envy, outbursts of wrath. Because as I'm speaking to you in this very moment, my words are like a seed, in a sense. And your minds are like a soil. Mm. And when this seed enters into your mind, a reaction takes place. And a kind of, will I say, pregnancy happens. When the pregnancy is completed and you give birth, that giving birth is the response you give to me as a result of what I said. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah? Is anyone confused? Does it make sense? Um, please, can you say that again? Uh-huh. <laughs> so in this moment that I'm speaking with you, right, my word is like a seed that's been planted in your mind. So in a sense right now, my word is masculine and your mind is feminine. Receiving my word. And once that word enters into your mind, that, when you start to ponder what I've said, that is like a child being formed in your womb, in the womb of your mind. And when you react to what I said, that is like a child that has been born. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, it does, yes. Yes, yes, yes I get I Let me now attach it to another scripture in the book of James. When James said, when desire has conceived, that is, when desire has gotten pregnant, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth, produces death. So from that little statement that James has made, he speaks, he lets us know that the capacity to become pregnant goes beyond the physical body. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Huh? Yes, sir. Does that make sense, guys? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yes, yes. So, every word that is spoken to us that we hear and receive, in a sense, is a kind of intercourse happening. And that's why if a person plants negative words in your heart, the fruit of that word that's implanted becomes negativity. So a person comes and shouts at you, say, oh, you're a terrible person, screw you, go away, I hate you. That is a seed being planted. Now, the child of that seed will be the reaction that you give, which will look exactly like that. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when we go to Genesis chapter 1, when it says the spirit was hovering upon the waters, and God said, that God said itself is a seed that has been planted. And when we saw, and there was light, that was the seed being germinated. That in itself, that foundation of reality itself is a sexual intercourse. Does that make sense to everyone? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah? Mm-hmm. The union of two things, the coming together, the, the binding, 
And we find it right there in Genesis chapter 1. You know. Yes, um, Temilulua is James, James 1 verse 13 to 15. You'll find it there. James 1, 13 to 15. Maybe someone can write it down on the chat for us, please. James 1 verse. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, right there from Genesis chapter 1, we see that the foundation of creation itself has sex there. So I'm trying to get us to dispel this idea that we, majority of us have been brought up to believe that sex is something filthy. Actually, sex itself is the power of God, the union, the matrimony. That is the most holy thing that exists in this world because from, it's from there that life comes into existence. Our sun, for example, in the sky, the reason why it burns, for those of us who know a bit of science, Four nuclei of hydrogen have to combine themselves together. And in their union, in their matrimony, they release some energy. And that energy that is released is the light that we see in the world today. So even the sun produces light and energy through a kind of sex. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah, it does, yes. Yeah. So, there is nothing that exists, that can exist without the union, the matrimony, the coming together of two opposing things. Nothing can be born without the coming together of two opposing things. And that's why in the Bible, we see in the Bible, they talk about how, oh, and the heaven in Jerusalem will descend upon the earth, and the earth will become the kingdom of the Lord, heaven and earth becoming one. That in itself is a matrimony. That in itself is sex. But of a more higher, um, will I say, um, expression. Though it's the same principle. Because two things come together to bring forth a new thing. And that's why the Bible always talks about a new creation. Yes, exactly. Fumilayo. Two things coming together to become one. And it's expressed in different ways and forms. So, for example, if I do like this, that is sex, because these two hands are coming together. The sound that comes out of it is energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You get my point? Yes. So we find this principle in everything in nature. And life, energy, only comes into existence when you bring together two things that are an opposing nature. And that's why we have up and down, day and night, black and white, male and female, heaven and earth, spirit and matter. We have all the, we just see the same opposite everywhere, 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 everywhere. And all of nature speaks about the coming together. And that's why marriage is something very sacred with God. Because sex is marriage. And marriage is sex. 100% life is 100% sexual. <laughs> you know, 100% sexual, Aisha. But it's necessary that we start to understand it beyond how we focus on our physical body. You know, life is 100% sexual. 
sex is in everything and sex is everything because sex itself is a power force. It's a power of Christ, the union, the matrimony. Sex itself is love. That's why you see when someone loves another person, you know, you see that. You see that immediately they try and hug each other. You know, it could be a man and a man, man and a woman. They, they, because they have this love, they just want to hold each other. Because when we talk about love, love is absolutely sexual, you know. And that's why you see when two people are very excited. It's as if they want to just, are you understand what I'm saying? They just want to just merge with themselves. And that's what the hug represents, you know. The union, the coming together, the oneness which what the Hebrews call shalom. Because the word shalom, translated as peace, actually means wholeness, completeness, the union of two things. Because if America and Russia are fighting each other, the moment they reconcile, that is what is called shalom, when they are now united with one another, when there is love, when there is a matrimony. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, 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 it does. You get what I'm saying? So we see this principle expressed through all of nature in different ways and in different forms. Because sex is the fundamental principle of life. And it's good to say that it is impossible for life to come into existence without the positive, quote-unquote, and the negative, joining together. It's only by the joining together of the positive and the negative that life can come out. And when I say positive and negative, I'm not saying good and bad, because positive and negative are two halves of one whole. The man and the woman are two halves of one whole. There is not one that is better than the other. There is not one that is greater than the other. Both of them are two halves of one whole. As you are right now, you are a half of Christ. And that's why Christ goes the extra mile for you, because you are also a part of him. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, guys? Yes. Yes, it does. Wait, sorry, Rookie, can you say that again, please? I said that the man and woman are two halves of one whole. There is not mm -hmm. one who is greater than the other. They together complete themselves. Without the man, the woman is incomplete. Without the woman, the man is incomplete. Because there are two halves of one whole. You get what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. And the same applies with Christ. That's why they say Christ is a head and there's a body. You cannot have a head without a body. And you can't have a body without a head. Do you get my point? Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? I get your point. Yeah, yes. That's... Yes, it does. So every single one of us here are also a part of Christ. And that's why Christ goes the extra mile to save us because we are a part of him. And he is a part of us. And just like a person who is missing a limb or missing a part of their body, that is how it is when we're separate from Christ. And it goes both ways. Because we and Christ are like masculine and feminine. And that's why Paul, because Paul was very different from all the other teachers, you know. Though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were, you know, using the literal story to hide the meaning, Paul brought, he just, he didn't hide anything. He just spoke it plainly. He said, I have come to present you like a chaste virgin unto Christ, your husband. You know, because just like in the Garden of Eden story, we are like the rib that has been removed from Christ that must be united back into him because we are part of him. 
Does that make sense? Hallelujah. So, it should not be strange when we say that Christ is like an is a, is a type of Adam, and we are also a type of Eve who are from that Adam in a sense. You know. So, the whole point of this whole journey is to bring back that marriage, that marriage that was separated many years ago, you know. And this expressed itself in so many different, so many different, so many different ways. So before we move forward now, from what has been said, what are thoughts, comments, and questions? Anyone? Okay, so I have, I have just, I, I need to understand something. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what you're trying to say is that sex is in relation to us being the bride, right? Sex is the union between us and God. That's what you're trying to say, right? Yes, in the most, in the most primary yeah, aspect. Yeah, in the most primary aspect of it. That is fine. So I've had this question on my mind for a while. Mm. For Jesus to perform a lot of his miracles, he, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His energy, quote and unquote, was compassion. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. For him to be compassionate, this is just me, and this is just from reading the scriptures, what I think. Because if you look at um, when he performed the miracle, the, um, the loaves of the um, loaves of bread and the fishes, mm-hmm. I think prior to that period, John the Baptist had just been murdered. And the Bible is says that, that prior to that period, John the Baptist, his cousin, had just been murdered. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that he was grieving. And, yes. you know, the people came up to him. They were happy. And then in his mind, he's like, what's wrong with these guys? Can't they sit down? I'm tired. Like, I just lost my cousin. What's going on here? Can't you people just let me be? But the Bible says that he was moved by compassion. compassion. You yes. know. And, and then he asked, okay, these guys probably been telling with me for a while. They are hungry. What do we have? Blah, 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 blah. And then I think a part of that said that he gave thanks to God and he performed the miracle. Hmm. My take is, even with a lot of the miracles that happened in the Bible, it almost seemed like, yes, the energy was compassion, but for him to really perform those miracles, aside from having compassion, he also had to give thanks to God, meaning that... Um, you know, the world was God and the world was God and God is spirits and um, we are also spirits. I believe that the spirit itself has to have some sort of communication for him to be able to have performed those miracles. Because if Christ is in me and I'm in Christ, the same spirit that flows through me is the same spirit that flows in Christ more or less, Right? A part of me, you have to more or less have a part of me to be able to want me to give you something. I don't know if it makes any sense. Because if, if myself and Christ are one body, which is why I think even when he had the last supper with his disciples, and he obviously knew at that point or more, my time has come. He had to, and he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me, blah, blah. 
It was an intimate moment. He was sharing a part of them that no one else had seen or no one. He had given, at that point in time, he was, in his mind, he's like, okay, you know what, this guy, I'm giving you guys expo. This is me. This is my, this is the realest form. Like, if you don't know me today, you don't know me again. Like, this is, I'm giving you exactly, I need you to understand these principles. And you guys are like the first set to be with me during this time. So in, in, in a sense, I feel like even with the anointed men of God, when they perform miracles, with the gifts they have, you have to be very intimate with Christ because, you know, the Bible says that the gift of something, I make it with an added no soul, is a gift. For you to possess that gift, it means that you've gone through some kind of remodification. Because to each person, there is a gift. But for you to access that gift, you have to be on a certain level with Jesus Christ. Because we all have gifts. We are all children of God. But to attain a certain level in Christianity or a certain level with God, for him to give you those gifts, you have to... A price, you, have, you must have paid a price. And for you to pay that price, meaning that you must have an intimate relationship with God. If you hear people like, um, God rest his soul, this gentleman that died, um, this very popular minister, um, I can't remember his name. Uh, you know, you will hear him say things like he just left the realm, the, the physical realm, and just went to the spiritual realm, and he was having an intimate discussion with Christ. For you to get to that level, you must have an intimate relationship with Christ. And Christ must more or less have compassion on you. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let me allow other people speak. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just really interested in this conversation. No, no so, I mean, like, you know, the word compassion is very interesting because um, the word compassion is of Latin origin. And um, mm. the juxtaposition of two words. The word come, mm. which means together. So that's why you see the words like competition, confront, okay. congregation. Okay. Because okay. con relates with someone. Mm. It's like a togetherness. And then the other part of the word compassion God is, bless you, yes. Yes, togetherness. So the word come means togetherness. And the other part, party, means to suffer. So when we mm. say compassion, compatio, it means to suffer with someone. To suffer mm. as them. So for you to have compassion, you have to see a person as yourself. When you see them, you're not seeing someone else suffering. You're seeing yourself suffering. And you healing them is you healing yourself. Good. And that's, that's how Christ approached people, knowing that this person is just like me. This person is me. Literally, love your neighbor as yourself because your neighbor is yourself. You know? And he was moved in that. That mm. mindset that. I and this person are one. Even though they don't know it, I know it. That they are part of me. That's love. That's the matrimony. That's sex. Does that make sense? Hmm. You know. And just as you said, it has to be something that we also have to experience on the inside of us. We have to see Christ as us. Not intellectually now. Yes. Realistically. Yes. yes, that yes. Is something that, that must become because a lot of people, it's so easy to claim, but it's not a clean thing. The claim has to be with our lives. And it happens mm. in that place 
of communion with him day to day and the transformation. Mm. And it happens from moment to moment. It's not something that's just going to happen instantaneously, you know. Mm. It's literally a continuous rapport, a continuous intercourse, mm. and we start to become. Mm. And it's from that place that we have become him that his life mm. comes out of us. Hallelujah. You know, so we can only express Christ to the degree that we have become Christ. Mm. Because the carnal man can never see God. He can never express God. He can never have an appetite for anything God. Only the heavenly man can. And that's why there has to be a metamorphosis, a transformation. And that happens in that place of the communion. You know, literally, that's what we see. And now exactly. we're going to very Yes, yes, the communion. Yes. Do you understand? The communion. You know, yeah, the, because for you to have communion with somebody, you must be intimate with the person. Yes. And yes. that's why we see that Jesus Christ took the place of Barnabas and Barnabas took the place of Christ. Because in the place of sex, there is an exchange. Because the two are now becoming one another. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. So is that, the, is that does that also come with the passage that says um, the smallest of you would also be the, uh, I can't remember. Uh, he said, he who wants to be, he who wishes to be the chief amongst you should be the servant of all. Yes, the servant of all, right? Yes. So, in a sense, in that okay. scripture, we see another kind of sexual intercourse. <laughs> Sorry, I'm using this word, but I just, I just wanted to understand. Yes, yes. yes. Please go on. When they talk about how the highest is the lowest. Do you see? Highest and lowest are opposite. Yes, But when yes, Christ is yes. talking about it, he unites them. He says the he lowest is the them. highest and the highest is the lowest. He doesn't separate it. He says the first mm. is the last and the last is the first. He doesn't Hallelujah. separate it. He joins together. Because mm. the highest, we can call it masculine. The lowest, we can call it feminine. And they unite. Now, these are not mm. good and bad. It's we who call high, good, and low, bad. That's not mm. how it's conceived in the, on the base of wisdom. Because mm. both of them are counterbalances of each other. Mm. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. You can't you mm. can have up without down. So they are both two halves of one another. Sorry guys, are we do we are we understanding the conversation that's happening? Because everyone's quiet. Oh, yes. yes, yes, we are. Mm. Yes. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So everything just quite said, it was very sexual in nature, and that's why it was so difficult mm. to understand him, because he was always mm. joining things together. Spirit mm. and flesh, he was joining together. He was sort of, mm. tear this temple down, and in three days I rebuild it. In that statement, mm. he merged the spiritual and the physical. But because those mm. people were so carnal, they couldn't mm. understand the inner aspect of what he was saying. You know? okay. Okay. And that's why you see Paul said, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek. You see, that's male and female again, two opposites. There is no bond nor free. You see again, two opposites. Mm. There is no male or female, two opposites again. Because mm. in Christ, everything is integrated. Mm. is united mm. so for me ask an important question can sex only be a union of polar opposites anything that is not a union of polar opposites cannot be considered to be sex because they can't unite even though it looks like they are uniting there's no unity there because the unity has to happen when there is a giver and there is a receiver I want us to imagine the mathematical graph of the X and Y axis. The X is masculine and the Y is feminine. And that point where they intersect is the sex. Does that make sense? Mm. 
There can never be an intersection between an X and X axis. They're parallel lines. They don't ever meet. And that's why when you mm. have a North Pole magnet and another North Pole magnet, they don't ever come together because it can't happen. If it looks like it's happening, it's just an illusion. It's not real. It's an error. Because mm. such a thing doesn't, it, it's, not an, it's not a reality. You understand? A planet has a North Pole and it also has a South Pole. The North Pole releases positive electrons and the South Pole receives it. And it's because of that giving and receiving that the Earth has a magnetic field. That's why it can maintain its secular shape. So even a planet is maintained by the principle of sex. Hallelujah. You get what I'm saying? This is not morals now. I'm just speaking about the fabric by which nature has been created. Actually, actually, yeah. You understand? When we talk about sexuality now, because whom is asking, how is it that homosexual relationships are ungodly? The question is fantastic. And I want to, I want to demoralize this conversation because now we're getting to some interesting places. <laughs> I want to throw morals out the window. Because I want to tell you that I'm not a moral person. I'm not a preacher of morals. You understand? Morals change in different times and different societies. So I'm not here to talk about morals. I want us to talk about facts of nature. Now, I want us to, like I said, sex, sex is expressed in many different things. And to show you how nature cannot be changed, that it has to be the opposite. I want you to think of how, have you seen a nation that is always greedy to its people? Does that nation gain a lot of benefit from them or do they lack benefit? Does lack. greed bring abundance or bring poverty? There's always a lack. It brings poverty. Exactly. Does generosity bring, bring lack or does it bring abundance? Abundance. abundance. So now I'm going to write on the chat now to give you guys a way to look at it. Let us call generosity, generosity masculine. I'm writing on the chat now. Generosity masculine. And generosity is a giver. Does that make sense? Generosity mm. gives, right? Mm. And we can call, we can call, um, um, what's the word I want to say now? Generosity brings abundance, right? And greed brings poverty. That in itself, these are opposites. It's because, you know, one is giving, the other is receiving. Abundance is something that we receive. Do you get my point? Mm. Does that make sense? Generosity mm. is something that we give. So generosity is masculine. Abundance is feminine. That which we are receiving. Does that make sense? Guys, do we yeah, it does. It does. Because huh? yeah. generosity is giving and the feminine receives. Exactly. So based on the foundation of nature, have you ever seen a people who greed brings wealth to them? No. No. It tears them because, down. Exactly, because you can't take and expect to... It is in giving that you receive. You see, giving that you receive. 
because it's giving that attracts receiving. The positive attracts the negative. The masculine attracts the feminine. You, feminine can't, you can't... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, based on even the natural system of the world, you know, for you to receive, you have to give. You already see that. That concept, because in that sense, we can say homosexuality is you receiving and still expecting to keep on receiving. Does that make sense? That is homosexuality. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't exist. Wait, say that again, because, please. For example, now, can you, can you breathe out without breathing in? No. Can you breathe in without breathing out? No. So homosexuality is you thinking that you can breathe in and breathe in again without breathing out. Does mm. that make sense? You die. It is a lie. It's an error. It, it doesn't exist. Does that make any sense, you guys? Do we, do we understand that? I'm trying to explain it without talking about the physical body now. So I'm leaving the physical body. I want to look at. I want us to look at the fundamental principles of nature. Do we understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know, homosexuality doesn't exist. It just, it just doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Even though it looks like that it's happening, it's not real. So when we say God is against it, it it's, not, it's not real. And that which is not real always produces error. That's just the way it is. Because it's not real. If the whole world became homosexual today, let me ask you guys a question. Where would humanity be in 100 years? Extinct. Hundred years is too far. Let's just say fifty. Everything will be extinct. 50. It doesn't exist. God. Do you get my point? So this is not morals. It's not morals. Re the whole of reality is built upon the union, the union of two opposing things, and it's from there that life springs. Life can never spring up from an x-axis and x-axis because they don't meet. North Pole and North Pole, they don't ever meet. Greed does not ever meet with abundance. It will always meet with lack. Because it has to be positive and feminine, positive and negative. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, it does. You understand? So, I want us to start to look at all these things beyond just the physical body. That's why I said this conversation is called the nature of sex. Because when we understand the nature of it, we can start understanding the different ways it expresses and know what is actually sex and what isn't. And we can start planning our lives. It's because of this principle of sex that anyone who develops wisdom of this world will tell you, listen, make sure you give. Because it's only in giving that you receive. If there are five of us in a room and everyone is stingy to everyone, can anyone receive anything? No. No. But if there are five of us and everyone is giving to everyone, won't all of us receive? Yes, we will. So it's in giving that we receive and in receiving that we give. It's a paradox. It's in marriage. So that's why when you give, you must receive because that's how nature is designed. And when you receive, you must give. So this is only in itself sexual. Exactly. Because if it gets passed around, it still comes back to you. Exactly. So in this way, we can see that nature in its, its most fundamental aspect is sexual. And when we talk about sex, we're always talking about the union of two opposing things. 
It's not possible for two molecules to combine themselves together without one being positive and negative. It's not possible. Abi, am I lying? For those of us who know science, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is it a lie? Huh? No, you, you are absolutely spot on. You're spot on. Exactly. Yeah. It's not possible for two molecules to combine, combine themselves without one having a positive charge and the other one having a negative charge. It's down to the very atoms of nature. An atom is made by a positive, a proton, which is positive, an electron, which is negative, and they are combined by the neutron, which is neutral. So down to our very atoms, we see that reality is built upon the union of opposites. It's not built on the union of parallels. It can't happen. Our planet is sustained because of the north and south magnetic poles. That is sex, and that is the union of opposites. Other than that, the planet won't, it won't be able to be alive. It won't be able to maintain itself. So when we talk about homosexuality, it's not even real. Because when there's a giver, there has to be a receiver. If not, there can't be a continuum. Life just ends. Do you get what I'm saying? Because when yeah. there's a receiver, when there's a receiver, I want us to look at how this thing changes. A man gives. The woman receives. And when she receives, what happens? She gives again. Do you see the continuum mm. now? Mm. Yeah. You see how it creates a cycle. Mm. But when a man and a man come together and one gives and this one can't receive, death happens because now there's no continuum. Make sense? Yeah. You get my point? And that's this yeah. is just fundamental. So this is not sentiment. This is not morals. I'm not saying a person is evil. I'm not saying any of that. If anyone wants to do whatever they want, they're free to do because we must state what is true and what is factual about nature. The fact is life. Life continues in motion in the union of the opposing forces. Not in union of like forces. That doesn't happen in any way in nature. If it's happening, it's an error and it's not really happening because the man and the man that are coming together, there is no union happening. Even if you go into depth of it, when you observe a homosexual, you, ah, I don't want to look at you because there might be someone here, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, please, I don't want anyone to, you know, but I'm just going to state what is true for what is true. When you see two people who are in a homosexual relationship, tell me if I'm lying, in that relationship, would there not be someone who is emotionally masculine and someone who is emotionally feminine? I'm asking. Mm. Yeah, there is. Mm. Yeah, like, there must Always. be one who is masculine and the other who is feminine because nature fundamentally, there cannot be any kind of union without opposing forces. Mm. So it still has to be there. As we're talking now, this is sexual. And if I'm talking and you're talking, who will hear? No one. And life doesn't happen. But when I talk and you listen, and then you talk and I listen, a continuum is established and that's how life flows, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Balance. So this is the flow of life. It's that interaction between the opposites. One giving to the other, the other giving back, to give back, and that's how things just create a flow. But if both of us are giving, there's no one to receive, the balance is ruined, and there cannot be any continuum, there cannot be life. So homosexuality is not pro-life, it's anti-life, because it breaks the foundational laws of nature, down to the molecules, not even the molecules disobey this law. You get my point? Mm -hmm. So this is not moral. We're speaking pure science now. Nature is sustained by the balance of the opposing forces. 
the positive and the negative, the day and the night, the light and the dark. They are always two halves of one coin. And in their coming together, does life, is life set in motion? Is it set in harmony? You cannot know poverty without wealth. True or false? True. Mm. Sure. That's why Jesus Christ said, mm. the poor will always be in your midst because it's, it's part of the cycle of life. Mm. They must be poor for them to be rich. They must be up for them to be down. You see? But when we talk about Christ, Christ is the integration of both. And that's why we can say Jesus Christ is the most, is the proudest man that ever exists, but yet is the most humble. Does that mm. make sense? Mm. That's the mystery of the lion and the lamb. Because the lamb is something that gives its life. The lion is that which takes life. Hallelujah. Do you see that opposite again? So Hallelujah. fundamentally, that itself is sex. Because mm -hmm. the lion, that checker, you see, it, there's a masculine and there's a feminine. In this sense, we can call the lamb the feminine because it's the one that gives. And we can call the lion the masculine because it's the one that takes. Does that make sense? Wait, you can huh? call it, sorry, you can call can it lion. Just, the, the sorry? Masculine. Wait, huh? You can call the lamb the masculine. Because it's the lamb that gives. Mm. And you call the lion feminine because it's the lion that takes. Isn't that the other way around? Isn't no, it the yeah, that's what I thought. But no, it's actually, the, the, I think the lamb gives his life or the meat or whatever. And then the oh, lamb yes, takes his Oh, yes, that's true. Right. Yeah, meat or yeah, I was about to say yeah, it's the opposite. It makes, I think it's, it makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yes, the yes. lamb gives his life, the lion takes it. The giver yeah. is the masculine, the taker mm. is the feminine. Mm. The feminine, wow, yeah. Get what I'm saying? And that's what creates that's what creates a continuum. Who who is masculine? The the one who takes the life? No, the masculine one who gives is, is masculine. The taker is feminine. Just look at the physical body of two people. We see the man is the one that produces the sperm, the giver. And the woman is the one who receives the sperm, the receiver. And after receiving the sperm, she also now gives a child. Do you see again? So she now becomes masculine too. So mm -hmm. that's how the continuum goes. Does that make sense? <laughs> so that's the continuum. So I give, you receive, you give, I receive, I give, you receive, you give, I receive. Now that's one, there's a continuum, there's a flow, there's emotion, there's life. But if there's a giver and there's no receiver, death has come into existence. If there's a receiver and there's no giver, death has come into existence. Because you need both of them for life to establish. So when there's only giver, no receiver, homosexual. When there's a receiver, no giver, homosexual. And life cannot come into existence from there. So that's why I call this conversation the nature of sex. So we can understand the nature of it. Because when we understand the nature of it, then we can start to see it in different aspects. Yeah, very true. Very true. And for true. example, when a man and a woman come together, and the man happens to be very masculine, and the woman also is very masculine. They must fight, it's not a cause. They will fight and kill themselves. It's the truth. Because someone must be feminine in a relationship. Are you guys getting my point? Exactly, if I could, they will repel. Yes. Because no one can break the laws of nature. Like forces always repel each other. So when you have two people who are both masculine, they must fight and fight and fight. It's not, it's not any, you must fight. Until someone becomes the feminine, the receiver in that relationship. 
there can't be peace. It just won't happen. Because only when there is a positive and negative can there be harmony. If not, disruption is guaranteed. So sometimes, it's the man that has to become the feminine if the woman is more of a masculine. Do you get what I'm saying? Hmm. Are you getting my point? Yeah. It gets to a point where a man can meet a woman who is more masculine than he is. And if he can't become feminine, there will never be peace in his home, ever. They will clash, 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 and they will divorce, and they will write irreconcilable differences. Also, a woman, too, who has become very masculine and now doesn't know how to become feminine, when she's the man who is very masculine, there can't be peace, because that's what they Wait. call a stubborn woman. You understand Rookie, what I'm saying? are you saying that they're interchangeable? Of course. Inside of every man is the possibility of masculine and feminine. And inside of a woman, the same possibility. A true balanced person has a balance of both. And that is the kind of person who is fit to lead a nation. You can't have someone who so, is completely masculine leading a country. You also can't have someone who is completely feminine leading a country. It's imbalanced. It's homosexual. And it will always so a balanced something. person is one that can function in both the masculine and the feminine perfectly. So I said again? So a balanced person is one that can function in both the masculine and the feminine accurately. Yes. And that's why it's written that in Christ there's no male or female, like, Jew like, or Greek born or free. Makes sense. So that is like both a receiver yes. and a giver in one person. In one person. So to give it in a biblical context more, Paul said, I have learned the secret of all living. I know how to live abased, up and abound, down. So he can be masculine, he can be feminine at any point. And such a person will always have joy. You see, someone who is able to live in pleasure and live in pain is a balanced person. Such a person will always have joy. Because you are balanced. You have the two extremes inside of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know. So this is the fundamental principle of nature. It's the, it's the law. It, when we say something is a law, it's something that has been there. You can't change it. You can only harmonize yourself with it for your life to flow properly. When you break it, suffering is the only outcome because you can't break the law. It's impossible to break the law. You can try and move around it, but the law will always last back because the law was created to keep life sustaining. So if something is against the law, that thing is against the continuity of life. That thing is against you. Do you get my point? So everything yeah. that God says don't do, that thing he says don't do is against you. Anger is against you. It will destroy you before it destroys any other person. Greed is against you. Because if you don't give, how are you going to receive? You have a farm. You don't put anything inside that ground. How can you expect crops to come out? Impossible. You're in the family. You have brothers and sisters. You don't ever invest love, forgiveness, patience inside of any of them. How are you going to expect that harvest from them? Because everything around you is a farm. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. The Bible even says that these things wage war against your soul. Exactly. You know. So we have to start to understand the natures of things, the principles of things, so that we can see how they express themselves in different, different, different ways. Because every single one of us in this phone call, we're all farms. At the same time, we're also farmers. You see? The farm is the receiver. The farmer is the giver. So, for example, you want to attain a six-pack and a muscular body. You have to plant the seed to get that harvest, true or false. Very true. 
if you don't put the seed of diet, you don't put the seed of the treadmill, you don't put the seed of the bench press, how can you get the harvest of six pack? Impossible. So greed can never bring abundance, ever, ever. And that's why Jesus Christ said, he who seeks to save his life must lose it. Must lose it. And he who seeks to, 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 to he who loses lose his, his life, life will, mistake, find it. will find it. So again, we see find opposite. It. Again, sex. So Christ is always the union of those things. That's okay, so, okay, so, okay, so I'm going to hold you there. Because that's, I've been waiting for that passage. I'm going to hold you there. In that passage, who is masculine, who is feminine? Hmm? In that passage, who, he, he who is to save his life must do, who is, mas who is giving, who is taking. It's the same thing. So let's look at it like this. Okay. So his life and lose his life. Okay. Okay. Right. That right. word there, the word life there is the Greek mm. word um, psyche, suko, okay. which literally means okay. breath. Right. So fundamentally, they call everything breath. Whether it's on the physical plane or the internal plane, everything is breath. Hallelujah. That's okay. For you to take in oxygen, you must first give out carbon dioxide. True or false? Hallelujah. Okay. That's yes. the explanation of that scripture right there. You cannot breathe in without first breathing out. So he who wishes to save his life, breathe in, must lose his life, breathe out, to breathe in. That's, does that make sense? Hallelujah. Wow. So this means that um, someone who decides that he doesn't want to breathe out is not really about... Um, he, the person automatically faces the judgment of not bringing breathing in because uh, and the person automatically face suffering it doesn't really matter if um, it's just the law that if someone doesn't breathe out automatically the person can't even breathe in and the person starts to suffer absolutely because life is not homosexual if you tell yourself you won't breathe out it won't work after 30 40 seconds what happens the air will force out of you because you can't break the law you get what mm. I'm saying? Have you ever heard of a person who held their breath and died from holding their breath? It's not what it's possible to get to that, but it's not common unless you know how to completely dominate your body. But on a normal sense, of course, the answer to the question of the 80s, this, this kind of discussion, this, this is actually where we're going to because this is going to become a whole, you know, kind of an apologetic thing. But that's anyway, that's just So, so, you know, ah, I lost my train of thought. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, um, this is, what do you say? Remind because it, my thought is attached to what you said. Okay. So I was saying that this means if someone doesn't, um, if someone decides not to breathe out, um, the person automatically suffers. It doesn't really. Yes. It's not about yes, the judgment yes. or the person automatically suffers because yes, you absolutely. Not yes. Yes. It it creates suffering automatically. Look at Niger Delta. When they were greedy to those people, their greed created those monsters who started to destroy those places. We can say, oh, God judged them this, but it's no problem. It's their greed that put into creation those people who are going to take. Because when you say you want to be greedy, that greed must create lack. Do you get my point? So when you're always taking, 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 what must happen is something that must also come and take from you. 100%. So that Niger Delta that is being plundered and taken from, taken from, and no one is giving back to, it must create takers there. Because you have taken so much from them. Now they're hungry. They must eat. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Mm. So uh, I have a, a question. So that means that we must be a lamb in order to be a lion. Sorry. Exactly. Of course, you can't be. You, can't, you must be both. Yes. That's the balance. The lion and the lamb. You have to be both. You have to know how to take, and you have to know how to give. Both are balanced. Jesus Christ said, "Is more blessed to give than to receive." But He didn't say receiving is not blessed. He said, "Is more blessed to give." So there's a blessing in receiving. But giving is a more is a greater blessing. But there's also a blessing receiving, because both are part. You understand? Yes, brokenness comes in. You know. So where one understands, eh? Yes. That in other words, dying to self. Yes. So when one exactly, you must be a servant to function as a leader. Again, we see the same sexual principle there again. Because the servant is the low and the leader is the high. But you see, Jesus Christ came and said that the one who is the servant is the highest and the one who is the highest is the lowest. So you see how they change each other. Because when we talk about the sex, the two of them unite. You can't separate one from the other. The one who is up is down and the one who is down is up. And when we start to understand this nature of the world, we start Hallelujah. to know how to function. In this world that God has made us. So everything that the prophets preach about from beginning to end is absolutely sexual. From top to bottom. But sex is not limited to the physical intercourse of two human beings. But it's part of it, but it's not limited to it. But we can't understand that sex of the two human beings if we don't understand the nature of sex itself. You know. Like you said, it's a coming together of two opposing things. To unite. So now the question is, why, 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 why? Have all the people in history talked about don't fornicate, don't do this, don't do that? You know, something which we have made us morals today. Before we go forward, do we have any questions or any thoughts or comments? Okay, so I have I have something to say. Um, if there's anything I've learned from this particular conversation, it is um, what, you, what, you, what you continually feed grows, be it good or evil. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, remember, I remember watching an animation, I think um, about four years ago, called Dante's Inferno. Mm. And, and um, in fact, everything, everything you, you are currently saying, just um, the whole movie just depicts it. Um, you know, he had to, a gentleman had issues with his wife and then had to deal with all these stages of, um, uh, what's it called? What are all those things called? All these things, greed, lust, gluttony, yeah. um, and all those things. And you, you find out that whatever, adapt at each point, at each stage he got, the monsters grew because they were being fed. So yeah. even, for, even, for, even for a human being, which is why... Christ said, for just as that gentleman said, for you to gain your life, you must lose it. And another passage in the Bible that says, um, shall, shall we continually live in sin that grace will abound? God forbid. Meaning that, and you also said, the reason why God, the reason why God is trying to tell you to come to him is because he's trying to protect you from these things. Yeah. Which would mean that he knows the abuse of these things would become a problem. And in economics, the human need is insatiable. 
you always want to get to a higher degree of satisfaction. So if someone tells you, okay, you know what, this, this thing is, you always want to go to the next level. You always want to go to the next level. I just, after reading this passage about sex, the 2.1, what you said about the Roman, the Roman Empire, that's oh, yes, the, yes, you yes. know, and it, very profound, actually, very, very deep thoughts, because even for every movie you watch, The Gladiator, you, The 300, you will see that the, every, on every street, there was actually a whole house. And the truth is, yes. for you to, for you to, and, and for every, everything was a graduation. They got to one place, they weren't satisfied. They also started doing other things. They got to another place, they weren't satisfied. Then they started sleeping with each other. For people started sleeping with each other, people started sleeping with each other's parents. People started having three sons. People started, so it was a graduation. Yes. There was a need to satisfy the demon within. Yes. So at some point, the, 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 you now became a slave to sin, quote-unquote. Yes, yes. Because you weren't living your life for yourself anymore. Something was telling you what to do. Yes. And, and in that case, I also oh. saw a passage of you this morning when you were discussing with your mom, and you are like, in every human, there are beasts. They are good, they are good sides, and there are also things like anger, there are things like um, uh, regret. So it depends on what you're actually feeding. Because what you feed grows, which is why yeah. someone can stop a bad habit and pick the bad habit after 10 years again. It was there, but you stop feeding it. But once you ignite it, it grows immediately. Yeah. So that is actually very profound. Thank you. I never really thought about it like that. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome, bro. You're quite Thank welcome. you very much. You're quite welcome. Hmm. So... There's some, something going on in the chat. I want us to talk about it briefly. Um, Elizabeth said, um, I don't believe God allows anyone to suffer. So I want us to talk about uh -huh. that. And I think that um, I want to first of all remove the word allow because it, it, it creates a lot of sentiment, which honestly, once sentiment enters conversations like this, it ruins them. So I want it us does. to engage these conversations without sentiment. Let us engage it with facts. God doesn't make anyone to suffer. Suffering is a product of our own creation. You understand? For me to suffer, guys, hold on to the chat, please, so we can talk about it here, because not everyone is able to read and everything. What is suffering? Suffering comes into existence when a reality I'm experiencing contradicts a reality that I wish to experience. That is when suffering starts. I want to have $10 million. I have $10,000. I suffer. Because my reality is contradicting my desire. And I'm not willing to accept it. Huh? Sorry? Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I'm with myself now. Okay. I'm not willing to accept the reality I'm experiencing. I'm just trying to I'm just living in my desires. I'm living in my imagination. And I'm not willing to come out of it. That is when suffering starts. I'm sick. My sickness came as a result of so many different factors. Maybe my parents, they had a very poor diet. So it made sure that when they gave birth to me, my mom, her body didn't have enough calcium. 
And because she didn't have enough calcium, obviously, me, the child being formed in a womb, I was born calcium deficient. And because I was born calcium deficient, my body started trying to compensate by making me use potassium and all these things. So this caused a chemical imbalance in my body, which crystallized at 16 as goiter or something or whatever unit. This mm. happened to me. When this sickness happens, the only way I will suffer is when I tell myself, this shouldn't be happening. I don't agree with what is happening. That's when suffering starts. When one becomes homosexual with their reality. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Because sexuality marries things. I'm sick. I'm dying. You have to, first of all, marry it before you can change it. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Guys, let me confuse. Huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, 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 beaten and tortured on the cross and everything and you were saying there was a point in time that you said that um you don't believe jesus was suffering because he had like become uh, hard up with this he, he basically learned how to control his body and whatnot do you get what i mean so he was uh one with the environment and everything that was happening so is that what you mean when you say suffering like his desire was not to leave his desire was to stay there and finish the work is that what you mean when you say suffering Yes, while they were beating him, he was not disagreeing with what was happening. He was accepting it. He was at one with it. He was at peace. And he was so much at peace that even though his physical body was being destroyed, he could still genuinely pray for their forgiveness. That is so... You can't, you can't. So you see that suffering is not defined by what happens in your external environment. Suffering is as a result of the state of your heart. Because the apartment I live in now, for example, you know, to some people... If they put them, if you put maybe Bugay's daughter someone inside this apartment, she will cry that poverty has wounded her and she's, oh, she's going to die now. Am I lying? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there's some people you put in this same apartment and they are crying, God, thank you, Jesus Christ, I have a home to stay. Because suffering is not that which is external. Suffering is always a product of the state of our heart. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Yeah. Hallelujah. So you mean that... Um, once we accept what is breaking to be suffered, because Matthew uses his um, um, his influence, because I don't know if that makes sense. No, I didn't get your question. Could you say that again? So you mean to say that once we accept what we usually breaking to be suffered, it automatically uses that influence it has to actually I don't know if that makes sense. Of course, the suffering ends once you marry that reality that you are presently in. For example, you are a person who is a chronic liar. You have to, first of all, accept that you are a liar first. That is sex. That is a marriage. You have to be united with yourself first and accept I am a liar. It's from accepting that I am a liar that I can become something other than a liar. But when I keep denying it, that is a kind of homosexuality going on. And that's why it brings condemnation. I start to wound myself because I am not agreeing with what is real. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. can I say Absolutely. something? Can you I say something, say? please? Of course, of course. Yeah. So, um, while you just said this thing now, a picture was actually going on in my head where you watch all these movies and all these people that go for all these their AA meetings, all these alcoholics mm. that goes for mm. the... You know, the first statement they usually utter in that meeting is, my name is this and I'm an alcoholic. Mm, so when you mm. said this thing, it made it click in my head because there's this statement that says acceptance is key. 
to finding yourself. Yeah. When you accept it as what it is, that's how you can now find the way to defeat it. I don't know if it makes sense, but in my head, it actually of makes course. sense. 100%. Yes, because that's why I said to lose is to gain. Exactly. Because you I have mean, to, because even though, even, that, even though that reality that you are accepting is not what you want, you have to accept it as what it is first exactly. of all. Exactly. Before you can find a way to, because it is in acceptance that you now build solutions. Mm. Exactly. I think. So, just, so uh, yeah. Question, please. Related question, yes. please. Yes, hold on. Uh, um, so, okay. so um, there are two people presently. There is Zami and there is Coyote. So, we're going to, first of all, um, answer Zami and then Coyote. So, yeah, just like you said, um, 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 Excel, the AA community was built upon wisdom. It's very clear that the people who started it they had an understanding of the nature of life. So the first thing to solving a problem is accepting that there is a problem. Because yeah, if true. we don't accept it, we keep on making it contradictory. That contradiction itself is homosexual. It's a, you are bringing, it, it creates, mm. it's like you can't put two North Pole magnets. It just causes a destabilization. It doesn't work. But when you accept, I am an alcoholic. I am very lustful. I am so proud. I am so angry. When you accept that, it's from that acceptance that life can start to flow. But you must first accept it. So Jesus Christ on the cross, when they were beating him, he wasn't saying, uh-uh, how can you do this to me? Do you know what? He didn't think, because once you think like that, suffering immediately comes into existence. Instantly. Because yeah. a contradiction is not happening. Homosexuality. You understand? Mm-hmm. It brings forth suffering. So when one agrees First of all, with that circumstance, then it's possible to change it. You know? So, yeah, Zami, you have a question. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, my Zami, your voice is not clear. Could you type? Zami, Zami, your voice is not so clear. Could you type? Zami, your voice isn't clear. Could you type? Okay. Esther. Esther, you have your hand raised. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so when you, you're talking about um, suffering, this um, scripture that Paul spoke about, you know, reckoning that the sufferings of this time cannot be compared to the glory that, you know, will be revealed in us. Um, you know, like what came to heart was every time I read that scripture, um, you know, and I go through like the lives of the apostles or the lives of even Jesus or the people before his time, you know, from the Old Testament, 
we'll see that um, Abraham was promised a son, but the delay might have felt like suffering. You know, it might have felt like a mental form of suffering. Um, Job as well went through stuff. David, you know, over time, they experienced things that were undeniably painful, you know, difficult. But what I notice with all of them, especially with Job, is when Job questions God, God doesn't, he didn't end the situation. He changed his perspective. Um, Abraham had a different perspective. Jesus had a different perspective. Paul, some might say, glorified suffering. Like in Philippians 3, you know, he was talking about participating in the sufferings of Christ. Um, also in Romans, when he talks about being joined heirs with him, he says, so long as we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Um, you know, there is this thing about um, suffering outside of the knowledge of Christ, the suffering outside the wisdom of Christ. Um, I feel like it's like double punishment because... <laughs> when we see or when we experience life including the painful times and the times that we do not understand um what we see is even when we ask god to end it in some cases he doesn't what he does is and what he does is he changes our perspective he changes how we see the situation um and most times when it changes the perspective, it leads to a solution. So it's like mm. you said, it's, yes. it's the embracing yeah. of the um, fact that this is where I am, you know. And and I feel like whenever I think of suffering, because it's something that, I mean, obviously, you know, it's something that I've had to experience, you know, for like a while. There are some things that have happened to me for a while that, you know, I've asked God over and over and over again, like, why yeah. is this happening to me, you know? Um, but every time that happens, he changes my perspective. He changes how I see the situation. So even when I'm groaning and I'm in pain, you know, there is this confidence and there is this hope I have that at the end of the day, everything is shaping me into the image of Christ. And when you're going through fire, it's never pleasurable. And sometimes that situation might just be part of the fire. It might just be part of the storm. It might be part of the, the chaos in, in the sea that you have to go through. But then if we don't see it through the lens of Christ, you know, with the wisdom of Christ, that's when we talk about it. That's when we speak about it as suffering. And that's why someone like Paul will sound, will sound mad, you know, to maybe his friends. Like, you're going through all these things. How is it that you're glorifying this situation? They were never panicking about things that happened to them. You know, we never saw any letter that Paul wrote, like, oh, you guys should pray for me. I'm dying. They're about to kill me. I'm afraid. You know, every time he was like, regardless of what I have to go through, I will go there. I will preach the gospel. And if I have to die, then so be it. Because he wasn't concerned about the temporary or the tangible. His eyes were set on the intangible, which is the eventual formation of the statue of Christ. So, yes. yes. Thank you so much. That was absolutely, um, that was very, very lovely. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just everything in a nutshell. The perspective. Because suffering is always perspective. And just like you said, when the perspective changes, 
then we realized that the solution had always been there because the problem was not the external thing, but it was our state of mind. And when the state of mind changes, the problem disappears, you know, and that's just how it is, you know. So Zami asked, he said, do two, oppos do two opposite things necessarily mean that they are opposing each other? You see, now this question, I want us to, I want, I want us to start knowing how to look at questions. Because when you say, are they opposing each other? It looks as if one is good and the other is bad, you know. But that is not the case when we talk about opposite forces. Because they are counterbalanced. Light is not better than darkness, and darkness is not better than light. Because both of them are related to one another. You understand? They are not enemies. In the way we understand it, as one is better than the other. They are both two halves of a coin. So let's look at it as counterbalance. Because light has its identity in the darkness, and darkness has its identity in the light. You can't separate them. And after we had that conversation, light from darkness, I went into Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where it was written, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So the light that God called good was a light that was integrated with darkness. Sex. Do we see that? Mm. <laughs> Do you I'm just um, because partially now that part of association does like help with darkness, so I can't really reconcile these two concepts together. Yes, when we talk about darkness in this sense, because I, I want us to remove that. Ah, we will go somewhere that that will take us elsewhere. But let me just try and just give a little foundation, you know. Because we look at darkness and light as one is good, the other is bad, but that's not how God sees it. You understand? When Joseph was in the pit, it looked like that was darkness, but that was also light. Because it's from that place that who, who, he, who he became, it was from that place that, that place made him who he became. It was from that darkness that the light came into existence. Do you get, my, do you get what I'm saying? Because when you understand these principles, you can see the stories differently. Because once you start understanding this light and darkness, good and evil, male and female, you can start to understand the stories because these are the, this is the nature of each of these stories. These are the principles on which they are built. And when you understand the principle, when you understand the nature, however it expresses itself doesn't matter. You can still recognize what is going on. So on one hand, it looks as if him being sold to slavery, being put into Potiphar's house was a bad thing. But inside of that bad thing was also good. That was a possibility. You see, and that good will not have come out if that bad thing didn't happen, you know. So, both of them are related to one another. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, yes, it sir. makes sense. So, if I understand what you're saying perfectly, it means that probably the kind of darkness that the Bible is talking about in that verse where it says, What um, relationship does light have with darkness? Maybe it talks about um, changing our values to suit. The values of the kingdom of darkness that we should not lose our values we should stand on the truth and not compromise when it comes to relating even with the people that we do not believe that they share the same values with us yes yes in, in a in a sense in a sense yes you know in in, in a sense yes in a sense yes, yes. <laughs> 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 so, there's a lot of stuff going on. We hold on. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of questions coming up. Hold on. Um, okay. Uh, um, 
for me, it's better you write because it's better you speak up because as you've written it, it's so long. You know, it's, it's, it's so long. So maybe you say it out. Well, before then, Kyrie has had his hand up for some time. So Kyrie, please. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, I think uh, Esther Esther did some uh, did a very balanced, you know, um, explanation on the mm. concept of suffering, and I think that um, I think that settles that. You know, is but um, to to uh, an atheist, you know, I intentionally put a question there when I said that. Uh, this answers the question atheists have, saying, you know, why does God allow people to suffer? And um, you see, any woman who has been through childbirth mm. will tell you that they suffered. All right, yes. but if you tell them, "Can I take the suffering away?" They will, they will, they will kill you. You know, because <laughs> they know that that suffering is to give, you know, a certain result. They know the end result for that suffering. So it's easy to, to understand. Then secondly, I think Esther has settled that. Then secondly, I think uh, while the chat was going on, um, the example of Job was given. Hmm. Uh, for a while now, I've, I don't think Job is exactly innocent uh, concerning what happened to him. I think Job had a part to play in bringing forth what he experienced. In Job chapter because we're talking about opposites now. In Job mm. chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, it says, For the mm. thing which I greatly feared is come, upon, has come me, upon me, Great. and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And then he says, mm. I was not in safety. Who told him? Neither had I rest. <laughs> Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Now, yeah. it, it goes, it, it, this then goes on to tell you that all those sacrifices he was offering was out of fear. You know, uh-huh. it was it. So, mm. you know, so his fear was the real activator of his mm-hmm. challenges because it says, "What I feared the most, what I Hallelujah. feared greatly, has come upon me." So when the devil came to, to you know came to the throne and pointed out the issue and said, "You you know you," I think what had happened there was is the issue of does God permit his choice, his his disposition forced God's hand into permitting that to happen. So he's not exactly, you know, guilty, uh, sorry, innocent in that, in that matter. Then finally, um, um, we, we also need to look at, I, I saw some comments about um, you having to have paid some price or um, gone through some experiences to be able to attain some level in, in, in some realms and all of that. That is valid, but we have people that also that also make it clear to us that you don't, it's not applicable to everybody. For example, uh, we know how David had to struggle, all right? Um, the only thing we know that uh, Solomon did was to ask for the right thing and God came to him. Mm. And um, the dimension that Solomon entered as a result of promise, we can't exactly say that he's, tr- he's true. You know, maybe he, he bought some marks, he bought some, um, what's it called? He 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 did some things, you know. He passed through some 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 uh, experiences to gain him that 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 to gain him entrance into that realm. You know, I think that there are some people because of time or due to uh, 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 what's it called the work that has been done in their ancestry. You know, like it was said of Timothy, there are some levels that they can access. I, I know this is not top, but someone was mentioning it earlier. 
there's some level they can access that are not necessarily by you know scars or by their own personal experiences so that when we have so that we don't fall into a position of um uh self slight self where we have to brag about scars in the spirit or scars mm. or, or, or 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 levels that we we you know uh, do you know where i've been to do you know where you know th th there's that slight you know a margin of error that can happen you know if we told that line um but that doesn't again mean that you know you, you won't have to take some classes you know to to advance in the realm of the spirit i just wanted to you know present that balance since that's what we're talking about yeah thank you very much you're very welcome you know but thank you so much for that Carrie. that was um very wonderful especially that uh, job story it's very perfect because the way the bible is written you know mm. on one hand we can say that god kicked adam and eve out of the garden on another hand we can also say they kicked themselves out because god kicking them out of the garden was dependent on the action that they did and anytime in the Bible we see judgment come here, this and that happens, you know, it is not independent of the actions of the people, you know. So on one hand, we can say that God sent that thing to Job. On the other hand, we can say that he pulled it himself because of his fear. Both are true. Because I can say, you know, for example, that if I jump out of the window and gravity pulls me to the ground, I can say God killed me. And I'll be true because God made the law of gravity, isn't it? You know, on the other hand, I can also say I killed myself because it's also true. And that's how the Bible is written. So you see, oh, disaster came upon these people and blah, blah, blah. No problem. But check it. For that disaster to have come into existence, there was something they did that produced that outcome. So when you see people, for example, now observe the world. When you see a nation, just look at history. Nations that became very greedy and swallowed everything. It was only a matter of time before people came to plunder and collect everything from them. It happened to the Roman Empire. It happened to the, it happened to the English Empire when the Vikings came and wiped them out. It happened with, with Rome. It happened with Israel. It happened with Egypt. It happened with Napoleon Bonaparte, France in the, in the 19th century. It happened with the USSR. It's going to happen to America because you can't break these principles in life. Greed must always, must always attract luck. And we see that principle play out all throughout. So we can say, oh, is it God that is going to tear America apart or whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, we can say that on one hand. But on the other hand, we can say that it's their greed that created that outcome. Because both are not separate from one another. Does that make sense there? Hallelujah. Yes, it does. Because it's like breathing in. America has breathed in for a long time and their lungs are very swollen. Now, either they breathe out willingly or that breath will be forced out of them. And that's how life is. And it could be forced by... If, if any, you see, that's just when it's Something is going to happen that's going to force that breath out of them. And they must, that money that they swallowed, it must go back and spread out. It's just the way it's been. You can't breathe in indefinitely. You have to breathe out. Either you do it willingly, as just Christ said, or you will lose it. Because he who saves to take his life will lose it. You will lose it. So that's so it's the same principle that also relates with Job. We can say, okay, God sent that thing to him, but he also brought it to himself, you know. So, for example, now, this conversation that we're having is very sexual in nature. Because I want you to observe this, because now I'm putting all these principles out so that when we can start to look at nature, we can start to see it in everything. So I started this conversation by speaking. 
masculine, and you were receiving feminine. Now, as you received, what happened? You now became masculine, giving back to me. Now, if I didn't have the capacity to be feminine and also listen to what you have to say, then we can create a continuum. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So already yeah, from this yeah, conversation, yeah. we're seeing that thing happening and it's a continuum. And that's how the conversation is going and it's going. And you can be surprised this kind of conversation can last for five hours because it's a continuum. But when it's only one person going, it, can, it, 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 it becomes difficult. You know? And that's, that's the principle. You know, so these are. I just want us to start to be able to recognize all these things in in um in everything that we see. You know, so okay, so um, Daniel, Daniel, your hand has been raised. But try to be as brief because I want to move on to the next part. Daniel. Okay. Um, Fumi. Hi. Hi. Okay. Did you want me to say the question I wrote to you? Uh-huh. So please say it. Okay. I was, you were talking about the suffering. My, it was still about the suffering bit. Mm. And you were saying, so I understand when you say that suffering comes as a result of our desires, kind of or us not agreeing with our situation, right? And then, mm. you, like you said, Jesus Christ had agreed with the situation and he was at peace. So my question is, when you agree with the situation and when your desire is not different from that situation, does that change the physical or the emotional pain that you go through Be, like does that pain go away now that you've agreed with the situation so when jesus was being beaten does it mean that he wasn't feeling the beating even though he was at peace has was it is it lessened mm. Mm. okay let me answer that so in james chapter one there's a scripture that goes like this consider it all joy when you undergo um, trials. Actually, let me find it here. He says, he says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, this word, consider it all joy, it doesn't really communicate the depth of this statement in Greek. In Greek, it literally goes like this. Consider your joy to be complete when you fall into various trials. So in this place, James is telling us that joy has inside of itself pain. Because we think that joy is the absence of pain, but that is not a complete joy. Joy is complete when it has both pleasure and pain on the inside of it. Does that make sense, guys? Okay. Joy is complete when it has both pleasure and pain on the inside of it. Yes. Because that's the balance. We're still talking about the sex again. That's the, it has to have both. So if your joy only has pleasure, then your life is not, is not realistic. And someday, somehow, that joy is going to be stolen from you because it's not balanced. Also, if your joy only has pain, it's also not balanced because pleasure and pain are two halves of one coin and you can't take one over the other. You must take both. So you must understand that Jesus Christ was in the most profound pain on that cross, but his joy was built upon that. So it's a joy that is beyond pleasure and pain. It's beyond good and evil. This is what the Bible calls the dimension of the tree of life. 
that which is beyond opposite, good and evil. Does that make sense? Please, it's very important to do so. What is what makes what is the stress here? Okay, I'm just tr I'm just still trying to understand the fact that you can have joy even though you're in pain. That's something that uh, I just find very confusing. Let me not help you out. So in James, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing okay. that the testing of your faith produces patience. So you are considering it joy because you know that this pain, this, this labor pain of you giving birth to this child is going to bring out something so beautiful. And that's the joy. Do you understand? Because okay. patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's light. It's Christ. So you, you, can, you can have peace and joy when you're in pain because you understand the purpose of the pain. You can see clearly the light that is inside of the darkness. That is how you can have joy. When you know the significance of that present moment that you're existing in. Do you get my point? Mm. So okay. when Christ was being torn apart, he was thinking about you. And the thought of you becoming healed and becoming transformed was greater than whatever was happening on the outside of him. And his joy was overflowing. You understand? Mm. Okay, someone said point? like childbirth, and I think that, that kind of helps. It's just me. like childbirth. Yeah, because my mom always like says that after the child, like when, the, when you see the child, all the pain that you went through, you forget about it because you, you see the child. Do you get what I mean? So I can, get, yeah. I can kind of get what you mean. I mean, even just because I use that same analogy, he said that just like when the child is being born, there's a lot of pain, but after the child is born, joy comes. So he's also speaking about spiritual things because like I said, mm. one thing can express itself in many ways. Life is multidimensional, is multifaceted. So anything you see on the physical plane also mirrors in every dimension of life. So childbirth is not only physical. Every man and woman also gives birth. You understand? Mm. Psychologically, emotionally, mentally, we give birth. You get my point? Yes. So, so just like that. So... Okay. When a lot of painful trials are happening, the reason why you can have joy is because you can see the significance of this moment. And that bit is about to produce inside of you. And that's a complete joy. You know, so that's what I'm saying. All right. That helps. Thanks, Ricky. Okay. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. So, guys, but are, we following, are we following the conversation? Is anyone confused? Okay. So no one is confused. Okay. Um, so yeah, Esther, did you have your hand up? Um, yes, I, I did. It was, it was when uh, Kyrie was talking. Um, so just, I don't know, is, is, that, is it fine? Just like two things that he said that I wanted to, I'm so sorry. Okay, but if you keep it brief, because I've been trying to move to the next part, <laughs> as brief as possible. Sure. Okay, okay. no problem. Um, so it had to do with um, Solomon, you know, um, about about Solomon um, achieving. I wouldn't even use the word achieving. Solomon doing what he did, um, you know, without necessarily going through what David went through. Um, I mean, the first, I think, First Kings chapter three talks about um, a very terrible decision Solomon made. Um, mm. um, 
you know, um, First Kings chapter three, verse one. Um, so when Solomon became king, and yeah, so when Solomon became king, he made an alliance with Pharaoh, and he married Pharaoh's daughter, and then he brought Pharaoh's daughter to his home, made her his wife, and he oh. sealed the gates. Um, so while on one hand, that is a very, that might seem like just a story, but when we start to explore what Egypt meant as regards the Israelites, um, or I mean, regarding, I mean, in their journey, what Egypt actually meant, um, you know, this was the same place that God sent Moses to several times to, I'm sorry, to tell Pharaoh several times to let his people go that they might serve him. We also see God bringing Abraham out of Egypt. We see God bringing Joseph's bones, you know, when he died, it was like, take my bones away from Egypt. And we see the same thing happening with Jesus, you know, leaving Egypt. But now with Solomon, Solomon was bringing Egypt into their city and he sealed the city while Egypt was within them. So that was a decision that was very regrettable. And so when you get to this, from verse four to six, you start to see that, you know, God tells Solomon, ask what I give to you, um, because he saw where Solomon was. Solomon wasn't necessarily the, the wisest person. I mean, from that chapter, we could see that he didn't make a wise decision. You know, he made his, he made his own error and, you know, he learned from it and, and, and the Lord taught him, you know, um, to make wise decision. And then you see in chapter four or so, he now makes a decision that is so profound you know, um, and that we talk about today, which was about the two women and their sons. So I'm just saying this because he paid his own price. And then regarding the um, bragging about scars that lead to elevation, I feel like it's because people don't really understand the reason for suffering. They don't understand the reason for the scars. Um, every single person that came before or suffered, not necessarily because of what they could attain, but because of the people that were coming after them. So the revelation that Paul had did not benefit Paul alone. We read about it today and it takes us to another dimension. And when we get to that dimension, you know, the Lord reveals, you know, deeper things to people. When we think of suffering in terms of, you know, like you said, in the, in, with an homosexual perspective, it's like, I'm going through this so that I can attain growth. But then if it's, about giving or if it's about submission it's i'm attaining growth so that the people coming before me or the people that are around me can also partake of this growth and the reason these people have to grow is because of the people that are coming after them and so on and so forth everything jesus shared with his disciples he told them these things that i've done greater things will you do and we see that it was, everything that they did was not documented in scriptures, but they did greater things. When we look at the life of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote, you know, his letters were so profound. So, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Paul's letters, but then that didn't just happen because he didn't have a foundation. He had a foundation. And, you know, from the very beginning, from time immemorial, people laid down their lives so that other people could attain life as well. And so that's the essence of the suffering. You know, it's not just so that we can be formed, um, in Hebrews 12, when Paul was talking about being chastised by God, you know, he said that we should straighten the bent path, not necessarily for ourselves, but then so that people that are coming behind us can actually see an example that they can make reference to and see what is possible. So 
Yeah, I just wanted to point out that, that people only brag about suffering when they don't understand the purpose of suffering. And, you know, when they think about it from a self um, perspective, they lose the point. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I think, um, yeah, I think that's so true. And that, um, that changes the way one looks, looks towards that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, everyone. So, yes, you know, it's, um, it's a very broad conversation, you know, and this is, this is just, um, and this is just, um, us starting from the root of it. So that, because when one understands the root, the tree and the branches begins to make a whole lot more sense, you know. So, when we talk about, um, when we talk about um, the matrimony, the union, because obviously we see all throughout the Bible and different um, people, prophets and everyone, they talk about promiscuity and they say flee fornication and all these things and you know one wonders why 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 did they always talk about this you know you know and um i want us to go into the the depths to remove the morals out of it and see the significance of why they said all these things should be stopped because like we've spoken earlier you know sex itself is marriage sex itself is union and that's why when we when we um when we read in is it Corinthians when Paul said that don't you know that he who is joined to joined to um a harlot is one flesh with her and he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord have you seen that scripture before? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Wait, hold on one second, guys. Hold on one second. I'll be right back. Yeah, sorry guys, I had a little bit of distraction. So, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Elizabeth. First Corinthians six sixteen. So already we can see Paul associating the sexual act with becoming one with something, you know. And he talked about how he who is one, who, he who um, joins his body to the hallowed becomes one flesh with heart, but he who joins to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. So when we talk about sex, we talk about the joining together of two things, and that's why, for example, we see that. Jesus Christ exchanged Barabbas' place, and Barabbas exchanged Jesus Christ's place. So like we described, we find sex in every single sphere of life. So for example, when I touch this table in front of me, in that moment, particles of my hand enter into the table, and particles of the table enter into my hand. True or false? 
True. You know. True. Because in every sexual interaction, in every intercourse, there is an exchange from that which is in me to that thing I have I've touched and that thing that I have touched into me. You know. And this, 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 um, this, this, this carries on to every sphere of life. It is impossible to live in this life without you receiving from other people and other people um, and you putting into other people as well. Because life, all throughout life, will I say, bonds are created, you know. And um, what creates a bond is when there's a part of me in you and a part of you in me. Because that is what creates a relationship between both of us. Does that make sense? Huh? Yes. Yeah, it does. So, it makes sense. So for five people to be friends, for them to frolic together, there has to be similar things inside of them that all relate. True or false? You know? True. So... When it comes to the point, because as, as, as all of us are sitting out here now, I want us to understand that every single one of us, I can call us something similar to a working hard drive. Inside of our body is data recorded of everything that has ever happened in our life and everything that's ever happened in our bloodline. True or false? True. You understand? And every single one of us are like that. We're like working pieces of memory. All different, for, for the fact that we even look like this, for the fact that I'm, that I'm black, is as a result of the memory that has been building up in my ancestry. And when you go back to my ancestors, I'll probably find someone who was the first to move to Africa. And when he moved to Africa and the sun was very hot, his skin began to adapt to the environment so that it can repel the amount of sunlight it does not need and take in the amount of sunlight that it needs. That is what we call the melanin pigment. So the melanin pigment didn't just happen overnight. It happened over thousands of years and being exposed to sunlight and all that stuff. And that memory that has been accumulated over time, over time, is what you are seeing presently in my physical body. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah? Everyone else, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. So as I'm uh, sitting down here now, you know, physically speaking, I'm not just one person. I'm thousands of people. Does that make sense? Are you talking about like your DNA and your genetic makeup is like drawn from thousands of people? Of course. Okay. Okay. So yeah. All, all yeah. the data of them is recorded in me. Drop. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You get my point. Um, for example, when a person starts to exhibit things like madness, when they go to the hospital, what's the first question that they ask the person or ask his, his family member? Do they have a history of this in their family? Exactly. Because we've seen that it's not only physical traits that can be passed on, but also psychological traits. You get my point? And it goes much deeper than just insanity or anything like that. You know? Because as all of us are here now, we are containers of different kinds of memories, of our bloodline, of our community, of everything that's happened to us. We are containers of it. You know? Sorry, Rookie, it, can this also um, be why they have their like generational curses and also generational. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Of course, of course. But generational curse is something that we have to talk about separately because, okay. like Solomon said, a curse that doesn't have a cause cannot stand. 
So for a curse to stand, there has to be a cause. So if you see in a generation that there's a curse going on, for that curse to continue, it means that someone in that generation is still doing things that are like, keeping the curse in activity. So maybe the curse came as a result of someone who stole money four generations ago, right? That nature of theft is the foundation upon which that curse is built. So long as thief is still in that family, that curse is there because it's thief that is the foundation of the curse. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah? But consequently, that also means that if that um, spirit of thieving leaves, then the curse stops. Of course, because the curse is dependent on that thieving. That is the soil which it it was planted. You get my point? Just like yeah. Job now. The problem that came to him was dependent on his fear. When the fear is, it has been eradicated, then the problem is also eradicated because they are dependent on one another. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh-huh. So as you are sitting here now, you are not one person. You are many people inside of one. And all that information and data is recorded within your person. And on day to day, for me, interacting with people, you are sharing that information. You are sharing that data because as we're both talking now, I'm putting parts of myself inside of you. You're putting a part of yourself inside of me because sexual intercourse always involves two people exchanging what they are. Do we understand that? Huh? Yeah, we do. Yes. Everyone else, do we understand? Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about sex, when we talk about union, it also talks about exchange because you take from the person and the person takes from you. And that's what creates a bond between the both of you. Because now two of you have similarities of yourself. That's what binds you together. So there are different ways of exchanging information. One of them is how we're speaking now. You know, one of them can be if I sneeze, if I sneeze, some data from me enters into you and it's a kind of intercourse as well. You know. Now, as all of us are here today based on the different things that have happened in our bloodline, in history and everything, all those things together have what, is what has produced who we are right now. True or false? Without even going deeper, physically speaking, if we're born in a country that is war-torn, isn't it as a result of those who were before? That's true. You understand? The Nigeria that we're seeing today now is a product of those who were before. So we're born into the mistakes of our fathers. So whatever we are today is a product of what was yesterday. You cannot separate the two of them. You get my point? So, as every single one of us are born into different things because, you know, environmental factors, as well, we are all born into different things, different situations, it has created different kinds of, what I say, data inside of us that remains. The most potent way of transferring data from one person to another, who can guess what it is? I will say communication. <laughs> the most potent way, think from what we were discussing. Sex. Of course it's sex. I mean, everything is sex, but I'm talking about the physical intercourse now. Yeah. Because it's in that place. In that place where, will I say, every dimension of a human being becomes open and information flows not only from the physical body but flows through everything it flows from one person to another now for example now let's say in my physical body i've accumulated a lot of memory 
of a lot of anger, pride, greed, and all these different kinds of things. The moment I sleep with someone, all those things that I've accumulated instantly is entering inside of them. Because that's what sex is about. It's about the union, the bond, the exchange, and it goes into them. And what is inside of them goes into me. You know. And let's say, for example, as an individual, already based on where I was born into, you know, different kind of problems that came as a result of the family I was born into, the place I was born into, I already have my natural challenges and problems I have to face in order to generate happiness. By the time I have sex with one person, I have added what is in them into my own. Now, let's say I had 10 problems before. Now, I've added another five. Now, I take another person, I sleep with them, I've added another one. I take the third person, I sleep with them, I have added another one. Guys, do we understand this? Huh? Yeah. 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 Yes. You understand? Because with every person that we're interacting with, there's a marriage taking place. 100%. And things that are inside of them are entering to us. And things that are within us are entering to them. You know? And that's why in those ancient times, you see that they didn't like to mix tribes at all. It was because of this. Because, for example, a particular tribe, they spent so much time to develop a lot of useful attributes. Maybe bravery. Some of them patience. Some of them, it could, be, it could be spiritual power and all these kind of things. They don't ever want to mix with people who are, quote, unquote, spiritually poor of all these virtues. Because they know that the moment they mix with them, Whatever comes out of it will be a contamination. And they are trying to preserve the purity of that which they've developed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You get my point? Mm -hmm. So, back then, tribes didn't like to mix. Because what what we've developed over thousands of years, I don't want to contaminate it by inviting your own. Except I believe your own is just as potent as mine, or is greater than mine. So that's why tribes then didn't used to mix. Even nations, they didn't used to mix. It was fundamentally because of this reason. Because they didn't want to add in your, the complications from your life into their own. Because already cultivating the spirit, cultivating happiness, cultivating joy is already expensive as they are. Now when they start to invite your own into themselves, that joy becomes so much more expensive. Exactly, like how we lingered. Um, exactly. You know, things, nothing, things go on. That's why, for example, you can see a whole family of witchcraft. I'm, I haven't seen that before. Everyone in the family is a witch. You know. Because the same way you say everyone in the family is a witch. Have you also seen how everyone in the family is prophetic? Have you ever seen that before? I'm asking yeah, you. or how everyone in the family is an yeah. academic. Exactly. All those kind of things. Because Every decision you're making right now is changing you on every level of your being. You understand? And from that which you have become, if you engender a child, that child will also be built upon what you have become. So if two of the parents are spiritually developed, academically developed, mentally developed, all these things, their child will be built from that. Does that make sense? Mm. You Hallelujah. Yes. So, fundamentally, I'm just trying to give us the logic why promiscuity was very spoken against because we need to understand why it was spoken against. When you start to involve 
many different people. As yes, you are so wonderful. Exactly, royal families especially, because when we say a, royal, a family is royal, I want us to understand it's not the way it was now. It's not the way it is now. Back then, for you to be a king on earth, you also have to be a king spiritually. That is a royal family. And that's why if you look in history, you don't see any king, whatever culture, you don't see any king who doesn't have some kind of spiritual power or who doesn't have some kind of spiritual person beside him because he's always been like that. So when they say a family is a royal family, in their bloodline, they have already cultivated a certain kind of spiritual potency which is, makes them literally superior to the masses who are still dabbling into a lot of basic things and everything like that. And because they don't want to contaminate that which they have achieved in themselves, that memory they have cultivated, they don't like to mix with anyone who is less than them. And that's why only royals only marry royals. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah? Everyone else, does it make sense? Yeah, perfectly. Yes, it does. You know? So, the moment one engages in sexual intercourse, you have a question? Okay. Why is everyone so quiet? My God, I hope I'm not shaking anybody's table. Please, God. <laughs> it's very funny. Can I, can I just ask a question? Um, of course. Of course. I, obviously, you're touching on... Um, you know, obviously sexual intercourse and the download of the different people that obviously you've gone ahead and been intimate with and everything. I mean, hmm. I don't know if it's going to be touched in, in this conversation, but I think I'm interested in obviously knowing how one can then go about obviously breaking not just the sore ties, but the different varying things that you've downloaded onto yourself. Hmm. Um, especially more so from an angle of you wouldn't know um, obviously, you're being intimate with someone. You don't really have the the, the spiritual um, no knowledge of what that person's carrying, right? Mm. Uh, you don't know what it is that's been input in you. You don't even know. So then, how do you then go about actually breaking those soul ties? Because it's not just necessarily what we've been taught in proclaiming or saying it. Of course, there's the process of dying to Christ, but then there's the other angle of generational curses and if you've gone ahead and then acquired all those other things from other people that you don't even know what their background is for example mm. how then does one go about really uh, clearing the slate clean should i say mm -hmm. so mm. i want to say something for us to really i want us to really think about it very well when a soul tie or a bond has been established it is not possible to break it one has to transcend it. It's just like coronavirus. Like I explained, I caught coronavirus in March, right? And I'm here now, I've recovered. But as I've recovered, you know that coronavirus is still inside of me. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm. Coronavirus is still in me. But the thing is that my immune system has become greater than it, that is under my dominion and is not- Hallelujah. You understand? Mm. So when we have made certain bonds, we have made it. It's not going anywhere. What has to happen now? We have to now become bigger than them. If not, we'll be subject to them. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes. Huh? Yeah, yes. So once the bond has been made, it's not going anywhere. You have to increase. And that's why they always want, don't go around because you, your life starts to get very complicated. It becomes so much. Yes. It becomes very complicated. All of us here, I mean, I'm 
<laughs> Yo. <laughs> the, 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 the past, if only we knew, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you understand? So, uh, so yeah, I don't know if all Sister Mary is here, but as for me, my, 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 my. Well, we thank God. God, God is beautiful. <laughs> Look at me. I think obviously, um, let me just say something to what Liz said, uh, just because of time. Um, I can understand the reason why Liz asked that question. And I think it's because in the church as an establishment, there have been a lot of prominent churches and pastors out there who have spoken about breaking off solical ties, especially yeah. when it comes to singles and, and Liz, and I'm sure I'm probably speaking to, to, to kind of like the direct question that you've probably asked, especially when it comes to all these singles conferences, you know, uh -huh. um, ladies who are looking or men who are looking to get married and everything. So obviously the table that you've just shaken is necessary. But I think obviously I can understand where this is coming from because there are a lot of church establishment, prominent church establishments who have spoken about that whole breaking of local ties. So I think obviously Liz, now that uh, El Shakar has said this, I think it's about you now journeying into that perspective of understanding that you know it's not about just it's not about breaking our solical ties and like he said it's about transcending it and i think obviously this is really a bigger topic it's not just yeah. something that can just be kind of I, I know he's tried to summarize it but i think it's really a bigger topic because it goes against a lot of things that have been said from the church of course as, yeah. an, as an establishment I think I think I think I think it's on various uh, different levels as we you know mm -hmm. as I've started to join these conversations in terms of mm -hmm. sort of understanding things deeply, um, especially things of the spirit. You know, the teacher mm -hmm. that deliverance is just <laughs> someone laying hands on top of you and yeah, you go and you 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 don't do something again. But obviously, the flesh mm -hmm. is weak and they don't really teach of the deepness of things that you're actually getting yourself into and 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 also not even out of because the i don't want to say the lie but the lie really you know yeah you're delivered and this thing is gone but literally it's maybe even lying low and making you feel like it is but it's still hiding somewhere so i think i think i think yeah it's, it, it is it is a deep topic um but i think also it's just from the background of of as you said the church and what the church teaches us with regards to you know um you you've proclaimed something and it's done you know you've spoken mm -hmm. and, and, and proclaimed something and it's done so that means that whatever you went and got yourself involved in you've been cut off it but really it's, it's not as easy as that as we're beginning to learn the things of the spirit you know to to, to, to come away from them, it's not as easy as what we've been taught. And I think what El Shankar and, said, and, and that is it doesn't mean what has been taught. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think I, 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 I'm, I'm grateful to come to the knowledge of the fact that it's been made clear mm -hmm. that it doesn't leave, but you have to transcend above it. I think that's mm -hmm. just a powerful statement, really, because mm -hmm. they make you feel like it's gone. But, you know, I mean, like, for, I'll speak of myself and, and obviously um, sometimes, you know, have flashbacks and, and, and you'd be like, ah, but this thing's supposed to be gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it's I mean? Because I mean, sense of thinking that it's gone, but it's, it's still there. I mean, you get angry at something, but, you know, you have a flashback about something else and, and it triggers you at yeah. the end of the day. But I, we don't want to kind of uh, kind of take the the topic off on the tangent. No, and I, no, think no. Oshakan, I think Oshakan needs I to speak. 
to the question yeah. which Pumilayo just posted in the chat. Yes, that I was, yeah. So to just make it um, concise, you know, when people were sick and they came to Jesus Christ for healing, right, and he healed them, he then said to them, go and sin no more or something worse might happen to you because that sickness itself is dependent on that action that they carried out, you see. So for the sickness to disappear, they have to become above that action that was producing that sickness. Does that make sense? So let's say the sickness came as a result of deep level of bitterness. If Jesus Christ heals the sickness, for the fact that the producer of the sickness is still there, it will come again. Do you get what I'm saying? So the ties are just like this. The bonds and all these things are just like that. Once we have merged with another person, a bond has come into existence. And all those complications have now entered into our life. For us to become happy and free, we have to now become greater than those things. Just like when, like all of us here, I'm sure all of us are all carriers of polio, you know. Every single one of us here is a carrier of polio. But it's non-existent in us because we have an immune system that is greater than it, you know. So it's something like that. Does, it, does that make sense to everyone? Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, almost like, it's almost like saying that there's something that, you know how okay so you know how people say there's nothing that god cannot heal there's nothing god cannot do it's it's when you say you can't break it it's almost like to me anyway like you're saying that uh, are you trying to say that this is something god cannot do i don't know that's what that's how it's looking like to me okay let me explain something to you that's why we talk about light and darkness you see that's why the bible talks about dominion anger doesn't disappear it transforms to something else your anger doesn't ever go. It still exists. But because of the life of Christ, you transform it to something else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the anger still exists, but it has, be, it has taken on a different kind of life. If you repeat the same things that made anger to happen yesterday, if you do it now, anger will come into existence again. So anger always exists. Pride always exists. Right? Mm-hmm. The, moment you, the moment you act in it is when it becomes active again. So even if I spent 10 years holy, holy, like just as for example, we saw him in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything was already put to death and everything. But you know that if that man decided not to take that cup, he would bring to life all the sinful nature again. Are you aware of that? Mm. So the sinful nature mm. still existed, but he had it under dominion. He had transcended it, but it still existed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you sure? Does it make sense to you? Well, and, uh, okay. <sighs> Let me explain. So someone asked, can, you, can we explain what transcendence looks like? Okay. <sighs> so let's say, let's say, based on measurements, let's say, for me to be happy, right? I need $10 today based on the way my life is now, right? Now, when my life starts to get more complicated, maybe I have a wife, I have kids, for me to be happy, I now need $100. Me having $100 is a kind of transcendence. So if I have $10 now, and I have more liability, I'm suffering because I don't have enough 
to make that issue no longer become an issue. But the moment I have hundred dollars, that issue no longer exists. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So, huh? Can I? I'll I'll let you finish. Sorry, I have a question. Okay. So, like we discussed earlier, you know, what's what I want to use? Problems are not really solved. They are only transcended. So, for example, the problem is that my child is hungry. And for, for my child to be fed, $100 must be, must, be, must be brought out. That problem remains. Why it looks like the problem doesn't exist is because I now have $100. But if I remove the $100, won't my child be hungry again? I'm asking. Yes, you will. Yes. So the child is always going to be hungry. That is always going to be there. Why it makes you look as if the problem has gone is because I now have something that is greater than the hunger. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. So, so let's say, for example, I have a lot of pride now. Humility is something greater than pride. I want to have that my pride has been transcended. But the pride is still there. And if I forget about myself, that thing that has been buried will come out again. So it's the same thing like when I talk about the tithes and bonds and all these things that we put into ourselves. It's there. But the reason why it becomes, it becomes non-existent is because we have not developed something that is much stronger than it and have it under subjection. Make sense? Yes, it does. Mm. Yeah? You know? Oh, wait. So, yeah. I, think I, I think I get it. It's like um, hmm. when you were talking about how Jesus Christ was capable of sinning, but he was also capable of doing something more powerful as well. So it's like, if you're capable of grace, humility, you're also capable of pride, but the pride is under subjection. Exactly. So it still exists. And that's why darkness can, that's why, that's why sin is always a possibility. It's always a possibility because it, it, it's just that it's subjected when you start to grow into the full stature of Christ. You start to become like him. Because like we said, Christ is an integration. So there's pride inside of Christ, except it's completely under dominion. It's completely subjected. It doesn't ever control him. But the moment he forgets himself, or anyone forgets themselves, that thing comes out again and controls you. So that's why I give an example of that healing of Jesus Christ when he tells them, if you go and do it again, you'll find yourself in the same position. So it's something similar to that. You know. I'll be asked for us. Yeah. Hi Rooks. Let me can I can I yes. just add something? Okay. Uh, because what you're dealing with is you are dismantling strongholds. Hmm. And um you can see that it's taking a while for this to sink in. Uh and this is because we can use a practical example in scripture in Second Corinthians chapter twelve from verse eight and nine. Hmm. Paul prayed three times for God to remove something. And God's response was cut and straight to the point in, uh, verse, nine, uh, in verse 9a. And he said hmm. unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Hmm. He didn't say, I'm going to take it away from you. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Which means what Ruth is trying to say is that grace now gives you the ability to transcend that thing. Yes. So it's still there if you decide to descend. 
if it's yes, there, exactly. if it's there, that challenge is still there but it's giving you grace to transcend it there is something um um explained to me uh, i think a month back and he said that why we have that problem in the church not really a problem but then i think knowledge increases per time um he said to me that in, from creation whenever people experienced uh, an aspect of the supernatural or an innovation they built an industry around it now what has happened in the church over time is when revelation comes somebody builds an industry around it somebody builds you know a doctrine uh, around it and all of that and you've had people dwell solely in the on, on the matter of uh, of, of um, uh, uh, casting away all these uh, uh, what's it called affiliation soul ties and all of that and you find out that in reality of things people still experience these things people leave yes. those you know you know things and begin to wonder what exactly is going on in the church you know and that's because knowledge is just increasing knowledge not that they were wrong at, at, at the time they knew what they were doing was right god backed it but knowledge is increasing now and now we now understand that look those things are submerged they are submerged grace comes for you to live above them and our example will always be what you know uh, Paul, paul's paul's problem was a, was a very perfect example for for many of us three times i prayed to the lord and this is why this is why you realize that christ never really judges anybody no matter what kind of sin you commit he never really really judges you he attacks the problem because he knows that in your state you can you see anybody can do anything when the woman was brought to him, he didn't attack the woman, told her, go and sin no more. He knows, he knows perfectly that left to the flesh, if you allow the flesh win, you are capable of anything. But if you function in grace, you can transcend all those corrupt natures of the flesh. And this also applies to what he's saying. And I just, I just felt, let me add this to, you know, you know let me just uh, help. Buttress it's the amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you for that. Charlie. That was that was fantastic. Yes, that's exactly what I'm, I'm 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 trying to say. Like Paul, he said, I learned how to live a base and abound. So the poverty never went. The material poverty never went. He just became a person who could be happy even in poverty. So when we go around making different kind of interactions and we bring all kinds of complications to us, those things don't go away. We now have to become people who can even function despite them being present, and that's what it means. So a lot of people say, oh, break so time, break so time. But you see that, you still see the same things happening. You know, especially maybe when someone really gets a bond with an evil spirit and the thing starts to meet you in the dream and they lay hand on you and they say it's gone. Yes, in that moment it's gone. But you see, because that, thing's being, that thing being present in your life is dependent on certain actions. When you leave that church and repeat those actions, that thing will come back and it will come back stronger. Because those who know biology know that bacteria, when you don't kill it, it returns with extra power. So that principle we see it in every dimension. So it's the same thing, you know. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I think we, we would, um, we would um, really probably go into this uh, conversation next week because time is really fast. You know? So um, yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, your hand is raised. Oh yeah, I raised my hand when um, we're talking about how um, 
kings uh, or royalties don't just marry outside of their own, um, like their circle. So I was going to ask, is this some kind of, um, some kind of homosexuality too, in quotes? To what? I said, uh, can we say that this is some kind of homosexuality in quotes? Like they are not, um, they don't have the opposites to get, so they are getting married people in their circle. Yes, that, that's the, yes, to a degree. And that's why uh, after a while they have to branch out and marry someone else on the other side because that balance has to be, has to be um, um, achieved. There's a thought I had, I'm trying to recollect. So essentially, the whole point of me talking about this, because I'm, so let me just tell you my stance. Anyone, if you want to go out and sleep with 100 people, there's no problem, you can go ahead and do it. But you see, the kind of complications that it brings into one's life, it, 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 it's incalculable. And it's because of this reason why they spoke about, don't do this, don't do that, because it starts to bring problems for you, 100%. Because if anyone is free to do whatever you want, you are free to do anything you want. But don't think that this thing you have done would create a complication inside of you and around you. So you are free to be bitter with anyone. You are free to be resentful. But that bitterness, that resentment begins to create things inside of you that make happiness very difficult, that makes joy very difficult, that makes freedom very difficult. You know? So I'm just trying to give a logical understanding to why they talk about promiscuity not being profitable. Does it make sense to us? Yes. Yeah, it does. So. Yes, all things are lawful, but not all things uh -huh. are expedient. Yeah, exactly. Really. Uh -huh. So if someone wants to go and carry test, no problem. But if they, if they do that and they don't realize that there are increasing complications in their life, then such a person is not very wise, you know, and that's just the truth. So all of us here, based on the past has been and everything, it's fine, it has happened. Now, we have to build our future from where we are now. What has happened has happened. We have to build from where we are now, you know. So based on that, let me just uh, stop it because actually I would, mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll just, um, because of time, let's just stop here. We'll continue. We'll continue next week. We'll continue next week. So, yeah. Um, to, to just give a quick recap, you know, a very quick recap. We spoke about how sex is, is, is at the foundation of life. And we spoke about Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke into the waters and God said, let there be light, you know. And we spoke about how the water has a feminine gender in the Bible. And that's why when a person is put into the waters of baptism, and when they come out, they say, you've been born again, because the water is a symbol of a womb. So when they said God spoke, that was a masculine seed being planted into the waters that was feminine. And incidentally, the name Mary literally means water. So we see the same principle also happen when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the light. And this same thing has to happen within us, because the Virgin Mary, ah, that will take us elsewhere. I'll just say it anyway. The Virgin Mary is not something limited to a historical person. That's why Paul came to say that I also want to present you as a chaste virgin to your husband. Because every one of us has to become a Virgin Mary. We have to become the water that God speaks into and says, let there be light. And light forms from the inside of us. You know? And when I started going about talking about in nature, how we see the principle of the coming together of opposites, creating a continuum. You know, it's when you give that you receive, you know, 
and how the Bible is built upon all of that. And this, really so this is sorry. And this is um this is um the foundation upon which everything is built. So yes, um what's actually happening right now because I'm actually having a, my mind is a bit fragmented now because I didn't, I didn't, because of time I had to stop um, before what was flowing flowed out properly. So now I'm, I'm a bit disjointed. So yes, I'll just say we can come to a close now. And um, yeah, if three or four people could just help us to recap and say one or two things that um, stood out to us in the conversation, it'd be appreciated. So who's gonna go? Um, I guess what I can say is, cause I had um I had read the write up on the nature of mm. sex, so I kind of had a background. But saying it again, I would say, gave me a deeper understanding, particularly about seeing sex in everything, and about mm. how it's just a union of two things that expresses itself in different ways. And then also the fact that we all have those aspects of masculine and feminine, because the masculine is the giver, the feminine is the receiver, and a balanced person knows how to operate within the masculine and the feminine. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that for me. That was lovely. That was lovely. Could we have uh, two other people? Who's gonna go next? I'll go. Okay, go ahead, Fire. Um, so I think giving an understanding of, of how sex is in everything makes one kind of sit down and be introspective of how deep sex is. So <laughs> when we're in, you know, growing up in church and they say don't do it, and they don't give like a background into all these deep and you know things that we need to think about now you understand why it's so sacred in a marriage um yeah just like thinking about like <laughs> everything that you just talked about about how like we're passing information within each other and just even through like you touch the chair the table and you're passing information huh. and how everything has a soul of its own and its own information as well so like just I guess having that that type of understanding about life <laughs> needs to be taught like when we're young yeah. for people to really really understand why this thing is much much deeper than just offing a coat and doing yeah. <laughs> doing something like that yeah absolutely absolutely that was so good thank you for that um fire thank you thank you so yeah um one more person a kind of recap. Uh, um, for me, I think um, it kind of goes into the realization that life is sexual as a whole, huh. and makes you want to be careful now more about the things you relate with and think about. And then that example of just tapping the table 
shows a very deep connection because if a forensics person comes into the room, for example, they can pick up your fingerprints from the table. And if you put your palm under the microscope as well, there could be bacteria or germs or something that you did pick up from the table. So there's always a giving and a receiving. It's just yeah. a matter of with what. And the now when they tell you not to be selfish, it's not it's 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 deeper than that because in you being selfish in a way you are being homosexual. Yes, and I uh, think that, that is what no. it is. So, yes. So yeah, I think um so I think life as a whole now has a very deeper meaning for me because now I'm yeah. going to be seeing everything as it is. And I think for every half, there's another half there to create wholeness. It's just a matter yes. of finding it. So yes. I think life is just a journey of wholeness, getting whole, whole, whole to create one big whole person. I don't know if it makes sense, but that's how it is in my head, actually. Yes, yes. So yeah, that's what I got out of to this yeah, that was that was fantastic. That was um, yes, and this was the Bible called Shalom. You know, Shalom, mm-hmm. Shalom. Even though it's translated as peace, it literally means wholeness, completeness. And something is only complete when there are two opposites counterbalancing one another. You know, so just like what God told Paul, He said, "My grace is sufficient for you." That was the kind of Shalom for him to consider his life whole, even though the thorn in the flesh was there. So something like that, you know. So yeah, we'll continue from where we stopped today next week and we'll build further because there's still a lot more and, um, you know, it won't do it justice to just do things haphazardly, you know, so it's, we'll continue next week. So yeah, on that note, um, we can close with a prayer. Does anyone want to volunteer and close us in prayer today? Who would like to volunteer to close us in a prayer? Ah, uh, why is everybody? Nobody wants to pray. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead, Melody. Okay. <laughs> Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this amazing period that we spend trying to understand the dynamics of being even though we are not perfect lord when we come to you father you make everything perfect you give us that divine wisdom that divine understanding that we need we pray lord that you shall never cease in jesus name we ask we shall Melody, we can't hear you. We can't hear her. Okay, I'll just continue for where she went off. So, Father, we thank you for the message that you provided us this evening. We pray that this bread that you have fed us would bring forth good fruit and will bring forth profitable germination in our hearts. And may we live here very introspective and deeply deeply yearning for more of you, more understanding of you, deeply yearning to become more of you. And may that which we have discussed today lead to a transformation on the inside of us 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Amen. Father, for bringing us here today. And we pray that more unfolding of your light comes out of us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So, I wish every single one of us a very good evening. God bless Amen. every single one of us. So, I'm going to, for those, in case there's not anyone who wants to join the group chat where you can ask further questions, I'm going to share the link now and you can, you can um, join the group. So, one second. One second. So, if, if anyone wants to join the, the group on WhatsApp, here is the link in the chat box. So, yeah, on that note, I wish every single one of us a very blessed night. And God bless every single one of us for joining this conversation. God bless you. We'll continue next week. God bless. Thank you. Good night. Amen. God Amen. bless you. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Good night. God bless you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. OMG, sorry, Elshak. I don't know what happened to my service. No, it's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> no problem. Okay, good night. Good night. <laughs> good night. Please, can I get like the link for the recording? My my phone died, so I had to like come back on. So at some point, I missed the train of thought and everything. Please. No problem. I'll, I'll I'll post it in the group chat. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem, bro. All right. Good night. Bro. Good night, bro.